Hello and welcome to the 2017 Star Wars Year in Review from Talking Comics. I'm Marwin, and I'm joined by Carolyn Coca. Hello. And Hugh Perry. Hello. So if this is your first time listening to one of our Star Wars shows, uh, just be forewarned, we are going to do spoilers for everything. Um, this is three weeks after The Last Jedi, so hopefully you've already seen it. And hopefully you're listening to it because you've seen it. Uh, so spoilers will be for The Last Jedi, Star Wars Rebels, Battlefront 2, all the novels that came out, and the comics. So, again, this is your big spoiler warning. Do not get mad at us for ruining anything for you. All right, so without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump into The Last Jedi. Uh, this is Star Wars Episode Eight. the eighth installment in the Skywalker saga. We've already learned this year that there's going to be a new saga directed by um, and helmed by Ryan Johnson after the Skywalkers are over. So this is kind of our first taste of what he might be bringing to um, Star Wars in the future. Uh, so Carolyn, what are your uh, initial impressions of The Last Jedi? Oh dear. All right. So to be as short as possible, because I'm sure we'll discuss multiple things in some more depth. I really enjoyed it. Enjoy might not be the right word. Let me try again. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was a great continuation of the Skywalker saga. I had some quibbles, but overall I was uh, surprised. I was sad. I was happy. Uh, I wound up thinking about it a lot after seeing it and kind of turning lots of things over and over in my mind. And uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about all of those things with you two. All right. Hugh? Um, pretty much what Carolyn said, to be okay. honest. Like, it, it's weird. For, it was unusual for me, even, even with the prequels. Like, I remember coming out of Phantom Menace thinking, that was amazing. Um, and obviously my opinion on that has changed, but we won't <laughs> go into that. Um, I came out of it and I was like, huh, I'm not sure what to think about that. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I sort of started discussing it with people more and sort of thinking about it, because I, I, it feels like it's a bit of a, a slow burn. It takes its time to get its like claws into you. Mm -hmm. Um after thinking about it for like a day or two, I was like, no, I actually really, really liked it. Like like Carolyn said, it, it goes places where it doesn't expect you to, like right from the very start of the movie. Um, and it there's a few like things I didn't like about it. I think it it's a movie that needed the fat trimmed off it a little bit. I think it's a bit overly long for its own good. Um, but in the main, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I think it's... Um, a really refreshing and interesting step um like away from sort of you know the, the norm for for star wars i guess mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i left the theater thinking the exact same thing i was like uh did i like that i'm not sure yeah. if i did me and, too and especially the first time i saw it i felt that way the yes. second time little different but the first time i i'm not sure what the look on my face was as i was walking out of the theater yeah i mean i saw i saw it thursday night that mm -hmm. that we the first time we were allowed to watch it and then i spent all day friday like not working uh, at work and just thinking about scholars. <laughs> 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 i 
I, I have a little bit of flexibility in my job that I can get away with that every once in a while, but not really <laughs> hit nobody yeah. at work, I hope, is listening to this. But I spent the whole day mulling it over. And the more that I dived into some of the plot points, the more I was like, oh, oh, yes, yes. And then I saw it later that night. So I saw it mm -hmm. three days in a row, actually. And I'm glad I did because my opinion, again, changed completely that second time. And the third time, like, I'm not an open weeper in movies, um, but some tears did fall in places that I knew more about the characters and what was coming for them. So. Yeah, I definitely had tears more than once also. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the first time I saw it, especially that one bit towards the end, I was just, like, tears rolling down my face. <laughs> um, but it was quite funny because... Like, the three of us have a WhatsApp Star Wars chat. Yes. Um, because we are you know, complete enablers of each other. <laughs> um, and, like, when I... Like, because of time difference, and I think it came out a day before um, over here, mm -hmm. like, I was, like, really slow in sort of, like, letting you guys know what I thought about it. Like, I think... Mm -hmm between me seeing it and actually like saying the I think my my exact words were something like you guys are in for a treat I I think there was probably a good like eight hours between me seeing it and actually sort of getting to the point where I was like no actually like I think I really like this film mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's a funny one yes uh so some of the things I think that make The Last Jedi a lot different from the other Star Wars films is that it takes place immediately after The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big deal, um, seeing as there's always been a jump in time between movies and this idea that the galaxy is still moving on in the space between these big events. Um, and I kind of like the fact that it was immediately after. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, we're about to talk about the comics and novels and stuff, all this extra information that takes place between movies. It kind of robs us of that, that space to work in. Mm -hmm. But I do like that it's answering a lot of questions right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. But that is one of the many things that makes it different right away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess... The only other precedent is sort of Rogue One into A New Hope. But, mm -hmm. you know, I guess Rogue One, technically speaking, isn't Skywalker Saga. So <laughs> so it's a bit of a funny one, that one. Um, yeah, I mean, like I that is one of the one of the things that I, I did really like about it. And I think the way they set the way they left The Force Awakens, I think. um like I, I really wanted it to pick up right where we left off um, from that because I didn't I didn't want to go into this movie like with it being sort of like six to twelve months down the line and sort of Ray and Luke having this established um, relationship and you kind of just going oh okay and um, like for for the audience who don't read the books like say for example there was that time space of time and there was a book about like luke and ray 
sort of getting to know each other mm-hmm. and then the movie. I just think that would be would like sell it short and with with how Luke is in this movie and the way that he and Ray are um I just think it works really well and like that that opening part with Luke. I was just like in terms of like putting a foot down and setting a tone for how a movie is gonna go. <laughs> yeah. I was just like oh my god. I was like that was not what I was expecting, but that mm-hmm. is fantastic and I was laughing my head off. I think I think uh, there's a good moment to point out that The Last Jedi I guess is very controversial in terms of fandom. Um, but that that moment with the lightsaber and you know stomping the foot down, I saw people on Twitter like Luke would never do that, and he would never throw his lightsaber and act that way. And then somebody posted a gif of him throwing his lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, and be like, y'all need to stop. Like, just enjoy a movie. And you know, if you're gonna nitpick it, sorry, but let the rest of us, you know, have humor in these moments and be able to connect them to other things. Yeah, and it's. I don't mind. I don't mind when people. I mean, of course, everybody has mm-hmm. their own opinion. Everybody receives media differently. That's great. That's what makes it interesting. But uh, the tone, and then the thing about the controversy is, we don't really know what the numbers are. Is mm-hmm. it really like half of fandom loved it and half of fandom hated it, or is it really like very vocal, <laughs> very vocal yeah. minority? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what has driven me a bit crazy is the the vehemence with, with which people have said things like well you know a jedi would never turn his back on the galaxy really uh, like yoda and obi-wan or <laughs> Luke would never throw his lightsaber yeah actually he's done that before or you know like the 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 absolute yeah only a sith deals an absolute yeah. but the, the absoluteness with which people are making these declarations it's like did you not see the other movies yeah it's uh, yeah that's the trouble that I've had. I don't mind disagreements about reception, but I do mind when people are making sweeping statements like mm-hmm. they know a fictional character, who, by the way, is fiction inside out so well that they know what they would do or would never do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, when you look back at what the Jedi Order was and what the Jedi religion, I suppose, also now was um this film is a very sort of like knowing um almost like acknowledgement of like although these people uh are good like the jedi and the jedi order and its religion aren't exactly perfect by any means um and to survive and to become relevant again the light side you know the people who are on the light side of the force need to move on and grow and find a a better way of doing things mm-hmm. and i think that's one thing i really like about like um like with not so much with force awakens but with rogue one and the last jedi i think there's been a real sort of like um, almost like self-awareness coming into the Star Wars films because Rogue One was very much sort of like well you're used to seeing the Rebels as sort of like you know your hands on hips mm-hmm. you know pearly white grin <laughs> or you know all you know all good heroes and they're not like they're they're murderers and yeah. do 
shady mm-hmm. stuff too sure and you know in this as well there's that whole element of just like well you know the empire by the the, or the first order rather get their weapons from these people well so do the resistance so mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like you know it's actually like you know it's called star wars and it's actually like doing a good job of finally acknowledging <laughs> the fact that like yeah you know nobody comes out you know, smelling of roses with these things. So I, th- I think that's one thing I re- I'm really appreciating with Star Wars now. I think that hits on one of the big themes of the movie, which is balance. Um, and that's hit on, you know, Luke Skywalker talks about, you know, it's the force or it's balance. But he still doesn't acknowledge that we need full balance of everything. Um, and looking at, like you said, with Rogue One did, you know, there are heroes and villains on both sides. Mm-hmm. We just happen to get one side of the, the picture until they decide to release a standalone film about the Empire, uh, <laughs> which I'm all in. Let's let's get sure. that done. That would be cool. There, and there was a Clone episode, Clone Wars episode called Heroes on Both Sides. It was the one where Padme and Ahsoka went to, oh no, I don't remember the name of the oh, world. Senator but, uh, Bonteri. Bonteri. Yes. Bonteri, Lux Bonteri's mother. For, foreshadowing there for mention of Lux Bonteri later. Um, but so, so it's basically through Ahsoka's eyes and she's sort of learning, oh, the separatists are not terrible, evil people. They they want some independence from what they see as this inefficient, overbearing New Republic bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, I agree with you that balance was a big theme and, and so was failure. Yes. And they kind of talking about both of them at the same time, I think was an interesting way to, to move through this material as Ryan Johnson did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so failure, I think was what led to a lot of people not liking the last Jedi. Uh, yeah. Because a big part of the plot was a failure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, they're on this, this chase and they're trying to get away from the first order and, Poe is Poe about things and mm. decides to just go off on, and do kind of his own thing, which ultimately fails and causes more problems later. Um, he comes out of it learning something, which is fine. Um, but a lot of people left the theater thinking, we didn't need that whole Rose and Finn storyline. We didn't need that yes. whole Canto Bite casino stuff without realizing what that whole storyline did to Finn's character. And I think this as well. Yes. Yes. And this movie being the second and a kind of trilogy part of a saga, you do need those moments of deepening the character and going (laughs) more into development than you do plot stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Hugh. Um, I think that's the, the thing that, turned me around on the the canto bite thing like i'm not like the execution of it i like i just i didn't particularly enjoy some of it and that's like where i felt the movie sort of sagged a little bit but the one thing that um i'll i'll give it its juice for is the fact that it it does a lot of good character work with finn Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. rose um so whereas like in in the main i wasn't too keen on that whole that whole section of the movie like after sort of 
sitting back and thinking about it. And I was like, no, actually, like, you need... All right, it doesn't f- further the main story, but it furthers where Finn is and where his place lies in mm-hmm. these movies. And by the end of the movie, you're just like, you know, when he goes to do what he goes to do, you're like, oh, God, no, 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 please don't. <laughs> That's not the lesson we wanted you to learn. <laughs> um, yeah. And like it, it, it does a very good job of setting Finn up as kind of like this person who just... Like, he's obviously just, he feels a massive amount of guilt, but mm-hmm. also at the same time still kind of feels a bit lost. Like, his his anchor to everything is basically Ray because of, mm-hmm. like, how they came together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is, like, it gives him that, that moment of sort of becoming a rebel, Yes. Um, And that was the thing after thinking about it. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, like I said, I I wasn't too keen on the execution of the Canto Bite stuff, but I think it needed to be there for his character and for Rose's too, because she was great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, maybe it could have been trimmed a bit, but I understood the work they were doing with world building. Like this is a, a t- part of war that we don't haven't really talked about that much in the main movies, the profiteering aspect of it mm-hmm. um, and the, the wealth that because we tend to think of the empire as all these worlds are just being oppressed. But empires don't work that way. Empires work because you enable you, you do oppress people, but you also have to enable a small number of people to live really well and thereby go along with empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. We kind of saw those people um, in Canto Bite. And I think, I, I mean, definitely, I, I've read, I don't know how many hundreds of comments over the last couple of weeks just trying to figure out what, what people are saying. And yeah, the Canto Bite part comes up a lot. And a lo- and like you were saying, what I have been seeing is people saying, what was the point of this? This doesn't do anything. But it does a lot. It not only does that world building, it does everything. And it holds theme of failure not every one in a million chance works out and um going to canto bite in some ways is not so different from going to bespin in the empire strikes back Mm -hmm. you could say if you cut that whole thing out it kind of wouldn't matter right right (laughs) (laughs) there's action happening and we're introduced to lando and lando grows as a character um and of course people love lando right yeah now so (laughs) I, i wonder if some of it is um people feeling like, excuse me, Finn had really become a hero in the last movie and a legend, kind of like a parallel with Luke. Mm -hmm. But but what they're trying, what Ryan Johnson is trying to show us instead, I felt was, no, he's really not. He's just tied to Ray, like you said, Hugh. His concern is Ray. It's the first thing he says when he gets up and he's motivated. He wants to get in that escape pod to draw her away from this very bad situation. Mm -hmm. And so he has to, he has to grow. Um, he has to, he becomes the rebel, like you said, here. So I don't think he start, he doesn't start out as the hero that Rose wants to believe that, that he is. So I think that, that, I think that his journey occurs across the Canto Bite thing and also going to, well, we can talk about that later, but going to the other ship and then failing again. Mm-hmm. I think um, a big part of Finn's growth um, is the character DJ mm-hmm. and what he represents as far as um, neutrality 
and more. Yeah. Um, he, he's pretty instrumental in changing a lot of things in the movie, despite being on screen for very little amount of time. Um, he he kind of shows Finn, you can't be neutral in a war like this. Um, if you have people who are oppressed, being neutral is just as bad as being the oppressor. Yes. Um, he is also the one who, when Poe learns the actual plan and blabs it, yes. he's the one that overhears it and then turns them in and ends up killing several rebels um, because of that. And for a character yeah. that's on screen for so little amount of time, we don't have a lot of answers about him. I think that was pretty brilliant. And, you know, outside of having like a one-shot comic coming out pretty soon, I don't foresee us learning a whole lot about him. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the Poe part is, is crucial and gets lost a little bit, particularly for people who are so annoyed that Leia and Holdo did not tell Poe the plan. <laughs> And if you look at what happened when they did tell him the plan, yeah. it did not go well, number and one. Again, and, and number two, he had already disobeyed orders, and a lot of people died because he disobeyed orders. So twice in this movie, Poe takes it upon himself <laughs> to think he knows what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's doing, and people die twice in very large groups uh, because of it. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like... My point of view was that this is a military chain of command. You only know what people want you to know. And he's proven himself to not be trustworthy by not listening to orders and getting people killed in the beginning. So I saw Holdo and Leia as being completely justified in not telling him everything and in being disappointed with him. And in some ways, because we love Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. and we love Gish Pilot, we we still sympathize with him. But if you really look at what he did, I'm not sure we should be sympathizing with him. And 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 Holdo and Leia themselves, you can see how they're they're kind of standing in for the audience because, you no, know, oh, he's a troublemaker. Yeah, I like him. I like him too. It's like, why are you smiling at him right now? People are <laughs> and I the first time I was smiling along with them, like, yep, he's a troublemaker. But oh, look at that, Oscar Isaac. And then mm-hmm. the second time I was like, yeah, you know, they should be more annoyed at him than they are. Um, so that was that was kind of tough playing with our expectations of Poe. Yes, yes, and you know, um, Vice Admiral Holdo. Mm. I think we need to touch on her real quick. Um, yes, Laura Dern. I loved this character so much. Um, part of it was because I was introduced to her in Leia, Princess of Alderaan, mm-hmm. and seeing her on screen and seeing just the way that she played the character. I was like, oh, I want her in every Star Wars movie from here on out. I I like how calm she is about everything, how determined mm-hmm. um, her resolve. I like that she was an older woman on screen. Mm-hmm. I like that she had purple hair and Agreed. fun jewelry and was very smart tactically as far as trying to protect what little they had left. Yes, and I think that the the hair and the jewelry and the dress are important for other reasons, namely that very often when you see quote unquote strong women, strong female characters on film, they are dressed in more masculine ways. They are they are either wearing a suit or they're wearing, you know, a tank top and cargo pants or something more military looking. And I think here it made a good point about how 
what can sometimes get dismissed as, you know, frivolous and female, which is code for like not strong, you know, no, don't judge people by the way they look. If they want purple <laughs> hair, that doesn't mean they're not a, 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 a leader and a hero. Um, and sort of um, contrasting the way she looked with the way Leia looked, two models of female heroism, I think, was a good move on their part. And I also agree that I I really liked her. And I, I can't separate it from the fact, though, that I read that Leia book so that I know something about teenage Amelyn Holdo. And I knew going in that I should trust her, which yes. is maybe not true of people who did not read that book, right? I mean, we know that she's good hearted. We know that the rebellion is very close to her heart. Um, and we know that she might look a little, quote unquote, unconventional. And well, there's more to that, but um, that we should trust her. And so uh, I, I'm not sure if if that makes a difference. If people coming to the movie really automatically didn't trust her because they were looking for someone not to trust and they came in with trust of of Poe. I mean, Hugh, did you you didn't read the Leia book, right? Did you feel right away like you should be a little wary of her? Um, well, although I didn't read, I haven't read the book yet. I did actually like I looked into it and sort of read up on sort of like the main story oh, beat. So okay. going into it, I did I didn't know that like this was a lady who was like died in the wool like a rebel mm -hmm. and was like probably like Leia's closest confidant, I suppose. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean as soon as I I didn't have that, but I do understand what what you mean but um i think that's there's no there's never any sort of like indication of her being you know a lack of you know having cause to distrust her so i think if the audience did go down that route then i think um to be frank it's their own fault for jumping to conclusions um like you should finish if you watch something and something to, seems to be exactly as it's presented on screen, then mm -hmm. you can't really criticize it for, for not doing that. And, and I think a big part of the movie is subverting your expectations anyway. I mean, there's, there's a lot yeah. more that goes on in that film that it completely like curveballs you than this late, like strong female like a visually striking character because every time she's on the screen, she cuts through mm. like, cause it's a very like, you know, you've got people who are in their military uniforms. They're very sort of like muted colors. And then there's her with her purple hair, a purple dress. And she's very like, she's got a, a majesty about her almost. Mm -hmm. um, and she commands the room when she's in it, which is, which is great. And um, like the whole thing with her and Leia, um, keeping the plan away from Poe, um, like you say, A, he doesn't deserve that trust, and B, in terms of the hierarchy, he has no no cause to know that anyway. Um, because he's, you know, it, a big part of the movie is like him being insubordinate, really. Mm -hmm. So he he gets, like, the first thing she does is demote him. Um, and slap him. Yeah. Um, and deservedly so, because he caused a hell of a lot of people to get killed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I never had 
had a, any kind of like you know expectation of her being anything other than what like just you know for me she was a very black and white character she was there who she was was who she was she was she wasn't like you know a mole or anything like that mm-hmm. um and i i thought she was brilliant like the way the way she goes out was just like phenomenal Amazing. like she's on screen for very little time but she's like almost kind of like um all right Janice gets a lot more screen time but she becomes like she's mm-hmm. a a linchpin sort of like hero for the rebellion in the same way that Jin is now because of what she does like she yeah. basically like she if it wasn't for her the rebellion would be completely wiped down I love that look of resolve on her face when she's watching yeah. the transports and she's seen them gun down one by one and she's like terrified and all of a sudden her whole face just shifts and she looks yeah. like well I'll show them Mm-hmm. And she just runs her ship right into it. <laughs> and I think that was a, I mean, that was the moment where almost every showing I went to, and I went to five so far. I'm going again on New Year's Day. <laughs> um, uh, there's always someone in the theater who's gasping. Yeah. Or some guy who's like, yeah. <laughs> like it's a shh, shh. Uh, but that was, that was brilliant. And a lot of people are like, well, why didn't she do it in the first place? Well, I mean, cause it would have alerted the first order that something was off that why would the entire rebellion, you know, throw themselves into the supremacy? Right. I think it was the last ditch effort. At least I can get these guys down to the planet so they can get into the stronghold and hopefully the first order will be so disorganized that they can't make it down there in time. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 and also I give two thumbs up for uh, having silence mm-hmm. at that moment on screen. I thought that was a great choice. Yeah, I, th- um, I think as a, um, like, an audio visual like spectacle, the way that like the it just suddenly went quiet. I was just like, I get, I, I, I can like the first time I saw it, I remember just like drawing breath and mm-hmm. just like, oh my god. And then it was such a clever moment when you can say like all of the Star Wars space battles are like pew, 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 boom, 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 boom. And, you know, scientifically space doesn't sound yes. like that. No, it does um, not. But it was just such a clever way to like add a bit of impact to that moment. I thought it was so clever. But can I can I bring up here, though, the, the kind of um, central conceit of let's just follow them until they run out of gas. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't let that go. You you don't really need to call back those TIE fighters when they're, I mean, yes, okay, you can't cover them, but they could probably have blown up all those ships. And they number two, yeah. if the First Order has basically taken over much of the galaxy, couldn't you just get on the phone and call another ship and say, hey, why don't you appear on the other side of this rebel fleet? <laughs> yes, yeah. just touch a space into these coordinates, and um, yeah. you know, I'm head guessing them off in the past. it's arrogance and conceit for for that particular thing that they did. Because I mean, Hux was like, "Well, let's just remind him that we're still here," and he's like grinning the whole time. That I I guess there's some sort of thrill in the chase. I guess so for 18 hours or so. <laughs> And, and probably wa- and wanting wanting the rebels to know that who exactly was going to take them down, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just 
because you need to do it for the plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there are two, two big things that uh, people wanted answers for leading into this movie. Um, one, who is Snoke? And yeah. two, who are Ray's parents? Mm. Uh, so the Snoke thing, you know, when he first showed up, a lot of people were theorizing, you know, is it somebody who appears in the Aftermath trilogy? Is it Thrawn? Is it Anakin Skywalker somehow alive? Look, the scars match up. Um, and, you know, my favorite thing is that the shirt that says your Snoke theory sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan Johnson, I think, fully embraced that mantra to yeah. the fact that we don't know and he doesn't care. Um, and that was something a lot of people had backlash to, you know, building yeah. up this big bad guy. I mean, he's an oversized hologram. He's all powerful. Mm -hmm. And then you kill him halfway through the movie without giving us any answers. And, and he wears gold pajamas and slippers. Yes. <laughs> but, but the idea is like, do we really need to know for the story? For the well, main Skywalker saga. I didn't need to know who the Emperor was from 1980 to 1999, and I didn't nope. really care. Nope. And that, I think that's something that we learned. Like, we don't, we don't need to know the origin of a rise to power for someone who's in a, basically a background character for the Skywalkers. But I'd read a book. I'd read a book like a dark plagacy kind of book of yeah. um, who was this person's master and who was Snoke's master, who trained him, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that, you know, it's not thrown in your face. It's like here if you want it. Um, and I think I think as a fan, I'm very satisfied with the way Snoke was handled. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm the same. Like, I, I, I don't need to know who he is. Like, as far as as far as I'm concerned, I just look back on him. Um, like no disrespect to the character, he is a cool character, but I see him after seeing the Last Jedi as just being the device that gives us a way for Kylo Ren to make that like that jump to absolute power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So, and, and I, I, I like having a bit of mystery in things like we don't we don't always need to know everything about everyone like he's there he's obviously incredibly powerful and has a lot of influence over Kylo um, and I don't see why we really need to know more than that but like you said I, I would gladly read a book about him but sure. I got everything I needed really so well, it's kind of about need versus want like like when joss whedon would kill off big characters on buffy he'd say look you never give the audience what they want you give them what they need <laughs> yeah you know? so so i walk in like hugh in the beginning you said you were you were sort of playing out the scenario of if the last jedi had picked up six months after the force awakens and now luke and ray have a relationship and he's trained her that's absolutely what i expected right we all expected that he was going to train her mm -hmm. and so having that undercut immediately turned out to be a really cool thing i didn't think i wanted that but i thought it was a good choice and going in what did I want as someone who was, you know, five when the first Star Wars movie came out? I wanted my hero, Luke Skywalker, to be doing all kinds of cool Force stuff and lifting X-Wings and having cool lightsaber battles and training Rey and being a mentor. That's not what I got. To be fair, I got that in, you know, 35 years of novels. 
<laughs> and I think that that's really quite enough because I can tell you, and and I think other a lot of other Star Wars fans would agree, Luke was maybe not so interesting in a lot of those novels because he never changed yeah. from this ideal hero figure. And that was fun. That provided stability and it gave you someone to look up to, but it was so predictable. You knew what he was going to do in every single book. He would always save the day. He would always say the wise thing. Um, and we have that. We have that in lots of novels. Um, and I would be happy to point people toward particular ones if they wanted advice about that. Um, but back to the Snoke thing. Sorry. That was oh, a little <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the only Snoke thing that bothered me was that I thought he was dispatched a little bit quickly. Because if you're setting him up to be so super duper unbelievably powerful that he can create the link between Rey and Kylo and it doesn't kill him, right? Because right. supposedly the effort of doing that will kill you. And he just sees all and he knows all. I got tricked kind of quickly there. Yeah, and I, and I again, I think this has to go back to the arrogance because he's sure. going right. on and on about how nobody can betray me. That's mm -hmm. not going to happen. And he looks into Kylo's mind and sees what he wants to see. Yeah, which again, good on Ben for for being a little sneaky about that. Um, and he also thinks Kylo is unbalanced and weak. And he, he says something to that effect, right? So he doesn't really think that Kylo is as powerful as he is. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that comes from, like, his manipulation of Kylo. Yeah. Um, like, because he, he basically, he himself convinces Kylo that he's weak and, yeah. like, conflicted. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, the interesting thing for me is that, like, a lot of people are speculating because, like, there's the whole line of, like, turn your lightsaber on Rey and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And a lot of people are saying the only lightsaber that physically, anyway, needed turning to do any damage to anybody, because Kylo was already pointing his at Rey, was the one that kills Snoke. Mm -hmm. um, so some people are saying, like, is what happened with, like, Snoke being killed and Kylo taking that step up to power, was that, like, Snoke's play all along so there's that it seems that seems a bit of a jump to me in all honesty yeah um, Snoke's not truly a Sith I mean no he's not and neither is Kylo Ren they're just really dark side users so it's not this whole this is the order of things my apprentice should always you know the apprentice should kill the master um, so I don't I don't see that so much but if that's how people want to interpret that that's cool. Yeah. Star I, Wars, just, I, th I think that's um, an example of people just trying to fill in blanks to try and mm -hmm. explain things away, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the, the other the other big question that this movie answers, question mark, uh, Ray's parents. Um, so The Force Awakens kind of set up Ray for someone being um, super important, I guess. Uh, the way they show her being abandoned as a child, her saying that she's waiting for her family to come back. After the movie, people are like, well, she's obviously Luke's daughter, or she's a Kenobi, or she's Ben Solo's younger sister that 
Han Solo and Princess Leia abandoned somewhere. Yeah. Um, nope, nope. Nope, nope, nope. And no, just because I, I didn't want them to have abandoned her. I did right. that didn't make sense to me as much as I would have enjoyed it. And again, to reference decades of novels, um, in in the novels, which are now quote unquote legends, um, Leia and Han had three kids, two twins, Jaina and Jason. So that kind of I thought they were setting up Kylo, or I should say Ben. I thought they were setting up Ben and Ray to be like Jason and Jaina. And then they had a younger son named Anakin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but to have either somehow do, not know she existed or to have abandoned her just really did not sit well with me. Right. Um, so I've, ever since watching The Last Jedi, I've watched The Force Awakens several times. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I've read is that Ryan Johnson didn't see the movie before writing the, the script. He had read the script oh, for The Force Awakens. And really? Because he started writing it so early. Okay. Um, that he had just seen um, bits and pieces of the movie prior and read the script prior to writing the script for this movie. Um, and so there is there is a point where in The Force Awakens where Rey touches Luke's lightsaber and she has her vision and Maz comes up and, you know, they have like their one woman to woman conversation. Um, yes, that's right. That Bechdel busting conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> Busted it right out. Um, mm. Where she says, you know, they're never coming back. You know, that your future that's is right. only <laughs> forward. I think that the movie kind of takes that small conversation between these two women and puts it right in our face. Like, Ray knows she's in denial. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens when you're what five and left alone on a planet where you have to scavenge for your whole life. You hold on to some sort of hope. Yeah. She knows that her parents are never coming back and she may have some idealized vision of them because she was so young. And when Mm -hmm. you're a kid, I mean the, your vision of your parents, you think that they can do anything or, um, they're essentially good people. You don't want to believe your parents are bad. I mean, that all factors into why you hold on hope that the people who abandoned you are going to come back. Right. But the fact that Ben is like, you need to admit this. You know the truth. You are, what, she's like 19 years old? You're 19 years old. You you need to come to grips with this. You need to let go of this fantasy you've had since you were a child. Uh, yes, you're not you're not Luke you're not Luke Skywalker. No. And, and thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, and I I think that I as soon as that happened in the movie, I was like, Oh my god, we're gonna find out who her parents are and they were like, Your parents were a pair of drunks who sold you for some alcohol or yeah. junk or something. And I was just like Ah, and I like straight off the bat, I was like, I actually, I really like that because I think for for Ray to like just hang on to having entirely her own agency as a character, not having her tied down to like Luke or Leia or Han or Obi Wan or whoever, or yeah. like some people were saying, oh, maybe she's even like a Palpatine or something, um, like. <laughs> In terms of, like, her as a character just being, no, this is a girl who's, like, come from nothing and she is an incredibly powerful, force-sensitive um, person. And 
I think that that is one thing like that does lead into another thing that I, I loved about the movie was kind of like throwing that mysticism back into the force again and making it like this this thing that just permeates everything the universe yes. and some people are able to harness it other people like are just closed off to it and cannot like use it in any way shape or form because i like one of my big gripes with the prequels was the whole midi chlorian things and making like more or less making like the the force like like it's a virus type thing oh do um, not get me started chlorians <laughs> yeah like the fact that you can like stab someone with a thing and it's more or less like testing them to see if their blood sugar levels okay um and i was just like that is fantastic like having this like the front and center character of this trilogy being a lady who is entirely her own entity she's not tied to anybody else and she like without even knowing it like about a third of the way into force awakens like i was just like the thing this this stuff that ray is doing there is no way in hell that this she is not like force sensitive like the way she just understands um machinery and can Mm. communicate with beings that don't speak her language and stuff and like it just puts that that like i said that mysticism back into the force and I, i i think have doing that again was a very like like you said carolyn this this movie does a lot for so like there's times when it, it more is it more or less as if like ryan johnson is just sticking his fingers up to you and saying yeah i know what you were expecting but <laughs> nope um and but, like we, we're not we're not like writers of stories like we we like fans and that oh uh, uh, a, lot, a lot of the time think they know better um which is fine like everybody's entitled to their opinion and it's fun to speculate and it's fun to say oh what if this what if that but it's nice to have like somebody be so brave as to just go, no, we're going to go this way with things, even though you thought it was going to go that way. Um, so I, th- I think like what they did with Ray's parents is like, even though it like, if you sort of play it at face value, it's a bit of a damp squib. It's actually like pretty huge, like in the main. I think a lot of people hyper-focus on, well, if she can use the Force, how come she's not connected to the Skywalkers? Like, y'all, just because Luke was like, the Force is strong in my family, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't mean that he's connected to every Force user. The whole Jedi Order was founded on taking kids from families and telling those Jedi, don't have kids. Like, if, if the Force was inherited like that, then they would have died at one generation. Um, I think introducing Rey as someone who uses the Force independently of any family legacy reminds us that the Force is open to any character who is willing and has has that ability. And I think it's highlighted at the very end of the film with that father stable boy who, yeah, yeah, it's got a little something-something going on, uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, before, I mean, when we first met Luke, we didn't know his background. We just knew that, oh, his father was a Jedi. Uh, yeah, okay, not this huge legacy of conceived on midichlorians, maybe virgin birth kind of stuff. We just knew that he was a farm boy 
who lived with his aunt and uncle, who, yeah, his dad was a Jedi, but that was it. I, I loved bringing that back and, you know, the whole, you're nothing, nothing, but not to me. I, I Ugh. thought that was a good moment that kind of characterized how Ben saw things and really kind of shoved it in a lot of fans' faces. Like, she's nothing, nothing. Like, just look at her. She's who she is right now, and she's going to be important. So. Yeah, I think that, that, that scene did did two things, I thought. One of one of them was was more about Ray, sort mm-hmm. of the the reassertion that she is not a Skywalker. And and just as a little background, uh Mara, you know I was kind of pulling for she's the secret daughter of Obi Wan and Duchess Satine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, but she was. <laughs> it doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter how. <laughs> She, you know, Satine was pregnant when Darth Maul killed her. Spoilers, and uh, her sister Bo-Katan secreted her away. I had it all figured out. Yeah, but anyway, okay. So I had one second of ah, and then immediately like yes, yes, because this is why the first movie was so successful because Luke was any kid, mm-hmm. and even talking about his father as a Jedi because there was no talk of midichlorians back then. And the way Obi-Wan talked about the Force, which is almost exactly the same language that Luke uses with Rey, right? It yeah. binds us, it's energy, it flows, whatever. Um, we got the impression that Luke's father was a Jedi, but that just meant that he worked at it, that mm-hmm. he meditated and was able to access the Force. So, in, so, so even after that revelation in the first movie, I didn't feel like the Skywalkers were special necessarily. Right. Uh, that that the force was accessible to anybody and i was just so glad that this brought that back away from that sort of elitism bloodline bordering on racist kind of stuff a little bit a little bit which kind of stuff but the, the, who ben is yes exactly so that's what, what i was going to say next is that not only is he elitist and full of himself in a number of ways but the level of I mean, it's a tactic. It's a it's a tactic of, you know, it's called negging, right? This is how some men pick up some women by telling them that they're nothing and they're horrible and no one will ever love them except me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm the one that sees the good in you, even though you're actually terrible and no one will ever love you. So therefore, you should be with me and you should join me because you're nothing to everyone else. So I think it did a lot of work for Kylo's character in terms of his um, arrogance, his elitism, his immaturity, and his misogyny all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, because he's still very, like, um, I guess he's very childish. Like he's a very he's like he's just an arrogant child. Yeah, when, like when you look at him, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's he from the just... Skywalker school of courting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and he's just like, if I don't get my way, I'm just gonna pop my lightsaber and just like smash everything in sight and just be an absolute piss baby about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I I think that like you know there's those scenes at the end of the movie where like even Hux is just like saying to him like I think that's probably enough you need to <laughs> chill out now you're a bit unstable yeah um you never want to tell unstable people they're unstable no. because they're unstable. <laughs> yeah and I, I do 
one thing I will say is that there, were, there was the first time I watched it, um, there was one sort of twice where I was actually like the movie kind of did a half decent job of making me think, huh, is he is maybe, he lying? Is he gonna <laughs> like, you know, switch sides and you know, he's like been playing like Snoke all along. Um like I was never really convinced the whole like the because there's that little hint with, like when um Luke first says to Ray about reaching out and she, like automatically she she sees the um like the dark side mm-hmm. um or is <laughs> it was a bit crude but I saw someone um describe it as um Acto's dark side vagina nice um <laughs> um but I was never really convinced that Ray might like you know switch sides but I think they were they they did a, a, a half decent job of like making me kind of like think that Kylo might see I had the opposite I thought that Ray not turned dark side but her attitude towards Ben and the force completely changed after her experience in the cave mm-hmm. uh, I I thought that she was getting insight about balance that Luke was talking about the whole time. You can't have one without the other. I thought she, after that brush, and she, her attitude towards Ben changed. I mean, she actually had a conversation with him and mm. was more open with him after the mirror, after the, the cave. And I thought they were setting it up where she was going to be the one to bring balance to the Force mm-hmm. by embracing both light and dark. And that she would still have conflict with Ben, but that he would start to see the full spectrum of the Force, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that she was going to be the one to shift. And because of her leadership or her example, that other Force users would open up. Um, this kind of goes back to people who are Force sensitive, mm-hmm. but they're not dogmatic, if that makes sense. Like, we know Maz is Force sensitive. I think it, it was said, you know, she the way that she talks about the Force um, Legends of Luke Skywalker introduces entire races that are force sensitive, but they don't ascribe to a light side or dark side. They just use the force. It's the Jedi and the Sith that are causing all the problems in the galaxy. Right. Because it's and, and one because, or the other. And which is why Luke is, well, for one thing, the idea that the legacy of the Jedi is failure, hypocrisy, and hubris, I think that's easily provable. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> But then to go from that to the Force does not belong to the Jedi, mm-hmm. I think that, that that short story you're talking about, Mara, in the Legends of Luke Skywalker book, that was mm-hmm. kind of what they were trying to tell him. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we manipulate. What does Rey say? Something like, it's a Lift. thing the Jedi use to control people and move things or whatever. <laughs> And that is certainly what we've seen, and you can see why people would understand it that way. So I really liked that this movie um, not only talked about the Force as accessible to different people, but just that it is something that is there. It's not something that it should be a tool, and it's certainly not a tool of this certain number of small elite people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the big throne room moment where Kylo or Ben kill Snoke, and then they fight side by side, and they have like you know, this give and take as far as the way that they, they interact with each other while fighting. I was like, oh my goodness, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like, 
there's going to be that invitation to leave yep. the first order. There's going to be that, you know, she's going to say, get on the Falcon. We're going back to Octu and we're going to learn about the dark side and the light side at the same time. But it was Ben who gave the invitation. And mm -hmm. I think, I think, I want to say that his heart was in the right place, but he didn't know what he really wanted because He's like, join me. Let's leave this all behind. But then he said, we can rule the galaxy. I'm like, no, yeah. man, nope. that's not what nope. we want. <laughs> You're getting it's it like all wrong. Has, it's like he has all of Anakin Skywalker's negative characteristics <laughs> and not his positive ones. <laughs> it's like, dude, you have the right idea. Like, you need to leave the First Order. You know, she doesn't really need to be part of the Resistance. She hasn't really been at all. You guys can go start a new Force Users Order. <laughs> Yeah. And just kind of separate yourselves from everything and try to restore balance to the force. But the whole ruling of the galaxy thing, I think, is what Ray heard more than anything. Yeah. Um, which caused her a full rejection of Ben. And what what what'd you call him? A piss baby? Yeah. <laughs> piss baby. Yeah. yeah. That that kind of was like he was he was getting like less and less of that. And then she did that and he went full on like I'm just going to burn it all to the ground, mm -hmm. which goes back to that whole women rejecting men thing and fear what happens after. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> it was kind of one of those things. It's like she had no choice but to reject you because honestly, who wants to rule the galaxy for real? And it's a lot of work. It's so much like it doesn't make sense. Why? Why is nah. that such a priority for for villains? <laughs> um. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, he set himself up for failure by concentrating too much on the wrong things. And, you know, Ray did the right thing and saying, no, you know, you're not ready for this. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, I have no idea what they're going to do next. Like, I have no idea where, where they're going to go, if they're going to go further down the dark path and further down the light. Or, right. or I don't know. I don't know. I have no speculation now. Yeah, because it, it makes you wonder, like, in The Force Awakens, like, the whole thing with these, where he's, like, got Vader's helmet and he says, uh, like, I'm going to finish what you started. And it just makes you wonder. Which like, thing? What, <laughs> Which thing? Yeah, what do you mean when you say Because, like, at the end of Vader's life, he was like, no, this is wrong. Like, I'm going to save my son and hopefully, like, the galaxy at the same time. Um, which didn't work. No. Um, as we've no, established. You mentioned that because just when I was sort of critical of how quickly Snoke was dispatched, I should point out that in Return of the Jedi, half-dead Vader just picked up the Emperor and threw him down the shaft. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that, makes no, that makes no sense either. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just kind of makes you wonder, like, does... Like, obviously, Vader's legacy is still him being a tyrant, um and you know this all-powerful like user of the dark side of the force so is is kylo insisting on like finishing that side of it or is he i guess with the way the last jedi ends that's the way he's going it would be a bit weird for him to come back from it now i suppose yeah i don't know but if but if the motivation is I thought my uncle was trying to kill me, I'm not sure how that leads you to want to take over the galaxy. It might lead you to be manipulated. 
Sure. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Snoke yeah. coming in being like, look at, look at what this supposed Jedi wanted to do. That's not cool. Yeah. And if that I can was another, say, yeah, sorry, Calvin, go on. No, no, I, I think you were going to say the same thing. Go ahead. Uh, that was another but, vein of criticism out there. The whole thing is, um, like showing the two sides of what happened with Luke and Kylo and the, like the two sides to every story. It's kind of like that old, like this, you know, three sides to every story. There's, you know, my news and the truth type thing. Yep. Um, and that was really clever because like they show like Kylo's side of it first. So it gives you that impression that, you know, Luke was like about to deal the death blow on, on Kylo. Um, no, that's, that was second. First, Luke tells it? Ray. Oh, uh, okay. And Luke doesn't even draw the, the lightsaber. His hands are up yeah. and pleading. Like, Ben, don't do yeah. this. And then second is Kylo's version. Yeah. Um, and it never really sort of like, never really clarifies exactly which version is like what happened, I don't think. Well, like, I think the version Luke tells, the, the third one that shows up is the one that's probably actually true. Um, yeah. Because he did admit his failure mm-hmm. um, and his hubris. And um, what was the third thing, the Jedi Order? Hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy. Yes, uh, that he admitted all of that, and mm-hmm. that he was left only with his consequences, and, I was and like, his shame. And shame. Yes. Yeah. No, I I thought it was for one thing the three flashbacks. I think just comparing how they were lit and comparing Hamill's eyes in all three, I thought was excellent, mm-hmm. and because he really the whole thing is told in the expression on his face in all three versions. But, but the, I I mean, a lot of people, and I I can understand this, why, why there were people saying Luke would never, um, you know, he would never kill his nephew. Yes, we know that he didn't kill his nephew. So that's not, frankly, not really a valid strain of criticism. If you want to say he would never even consider it. Well, the whole, you know, he almost killed his father. Remember, Mm -hmm. he has considered doing this exact very thing before he raised the lightsaber up and then he thought about it and then he lowered it. So really like Yoda says, I'm not sure we'll talk about Yoda, but like Yoda says in many ways, he hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. He's still looking to the horizon. He's still making mistakes. Um, and, and that is, is human. And I, I thought it was more, more interesting that way. If it actually killed him. It would have been more of a surprise to me, but but not so much the con- the considering of the killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it does like it does a good job of like when you th- when you think about it. I guess in in terms of like Luke's life and his um, like education as a user of the Force, he never really like actually has like continued periods where he's learning like how to use the force and be like a Jedi at the same time like he cuts his sort of teaching with Yoda short because (laughs) when he's when he's like when he's connecting with the force for the first time all he can see is that his friends are under threat so he just leaves his teaching then but just, and then just like ray 
mm-hmm. and then he you know Yoda dies and then he's just left then with dealing with the fact that like his father is you know the the galaxy's like big bad and you know he does like there are times like in return of the jedi like there is that whole scene with like the emperor sort of you know prodding him and saying you know join me and stuff and you can see you know even luke like has that conflict in him so he's never really sort of been you know say like obi-wan was in his time he's never been uh i guess a you know, a fully educated user of the force, really. Nope. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we have to assume after Yoda died that he just uh, tried to meditate a lot and find some old books. Yeah. Or yeah. in the case of Legend of Luke Skywalker book, kind of travel yeah. around and figure out what other people do. Travel so around it's not- and ask people. He can't go back to the Jedi library because nope. it's deleted and on fire and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like you know, the blind leading the blind as far as <laughs> Luke, his little temple of younglings. <laughs> yeah, right. But he, but his reaction is not dissimilar to Yoda's, you know. Yoda says, I can't train him. And Luke says about Ray, I can't train you. You know, they, it, it's, it, the, the parallel is, is pretty striking. Um, and so, again, that's why it's hard to hear people saying the Jedi would never behave that way because we've already seen them behave that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you guys surprised by Yoda showing yes, up? I was. Oh yeah. yeah, when he appeared, I was just like, "Holy!" Yes. <laughs> I was like, "This is so cool!" <laughs> and I love the fact that it, he wasn't um, like CG as well. I love the fact that he was like, puppet it was a puppet was with like the like the blue glow around it. Mm-hmm. I was, I absolutely loved that about it. I loved how goofy he was. Yes, yeah, just Empire. Yeah, trickster cackling Yoda. Yeah, just the yeah the just the crazy old man who just like essentially he just takes the piss out of Luke. Mm-hmm. He's you know, just, he's like, just been having a great time as a Force ghost. Yeah, just he's just like track. really. After all of this time, you still haven't learned. And um, I I I love that. Like again, that that scene with Luke and Yoda does such a good job of as well as the other things I mentioned like putting that that mystique back into the force mm-hmm. and like shutting certain doors as well like you say the whole thing with the, the Jedi being um, like to a certain extent there, there's a bit of like for me the, the, like arrogance about the Jedi mm-hmm. um, and like it just kind of shuts the door on that whole sort of it almost basically says, you know, from here on, we're not. There's not going to be a Jedi Order. There's just going to be people who can use the Force, and where they take their path when they when they are learning and mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, becoming people is their own thing to choose. There's not going to be like, um, oh well, it, it, there is that theme in the movie, like let the let the old die like mm-hmm. kill it if you have to move um, on guys let's move on so like it's almost as if like we may like i'm just speculating but it may like we could see fr- from now on like the whole the term jedi and the term sith just be complete like 
misnomers now and it'll just be like light side dark side mm-hmm. um and i think that whole scene did like added to that really well and it was just really funny how like yoda was like oh you're gonna burn the tree down oh you're gonna go <laughs> get the books well i'm gonna burn the tree down before you can get in there sorry <laughs> yeah it, the scene moves so it does so much stuff in in only a small number of minutes because you have sort of like Yoda as he was when Luke first met him, who is treating Luke like a dumb little kid, mm-hmm. and he's poking him with the stick. <laughs> he's yeah. like, you know, I told you, pass on what you have learned. I told you this. You're still looking to the horizon, but then, which, and I thought that was all great, um, and but then it comes around at the end that Yoda's talking to him like a peer. And I thought that was so cool where he's like, you know, we are what they, we are, you know, like Yoda is saying. Us masters, yes. Us masters, you know, so, so there's this acknowledgement of Luke Skywalker's whole adult life in that short conversation. Mm -hmm. And I thought very well done. Yes. Um, Another character we haven't really touched on a whole lot, um, Rose. Mm -hmm. So good. I I loved Rose. Delightful. Uh, Yes. Yes, and um, I like Kelly Marie Tran even more. <laughs> she is an absolute sweetheart. Did you see that thing where she she was in um, London a few yes. weeks ago, and she was sat in a um, I, I I don't know whether a restaurant or a pub, mm-hmm. and she was sat there with somebody, um, and there was a group a table of people sat alongside them, and they'd obviously just seen the Last Jedi, and they were like deep in conversation about it and then you can hear them say and one girl was like oh i absolutely love rose and like kelly marie tran just like burst into tears and then a few minutes later she just walked over to the table and was like hey guys <laughs> and just like ended up like sitting with them and sort of like chewing the fat over the movie and i was like she is all of us yes like if that was if that was me like if i was like in a star wars movie I would just be like, anybody I knew who's seen it, I'd be like, guys, come on, let's go and sit down. Let's go and talk about it. This is the coolest. So, yeah, she is awesome. I loved I reading had... about her on set. There was uh, some interview Ryan Johnson did where he talked about how he wishes he did more of what Kelly Marie Tran did, which is when she wasn't filming or, I guess, studying her lines, she just walked around and helped people out. Yeah. Um, like, there's this whole deal that she went and helped feather the porgs. Um, mm-hmm. that she went and like checked out the costume department that she was just like on a playground just like going up to different people and hey guys what are you doing can I play um, but she seems to be the kind of person that's going to be a, a good ambassador for Star Wars moving forward and uh, it sounds awful but I'm really hoping this doesn't happen to her too but when Daisy Ridley was pretty much doing the same thing um her, I mean, posting on Instagram, talking a lot about Star Wars, about the fans, about her life, and then basically got harassed to the point mm-hmm. where she shut down her interaction with fans. Uh, I follow Kelly Marie Tran on Instagram, and it is delightful. She is very um, positive. She's very encouraging. And, you know, it's like, uh, how, how many more months do we have of this before some assholes come around and knock her down? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it is it is cynical and pessimistic, but I, given the way things are these days, there's a horrible inevitability about that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so I encourage everyone to go follow her on Instagram right now. Um, mm-hmm. She posts pictures from 
photo like magazine photo shoots and then pictures her mom takes of her making the same pose and she just <laughs> like <laughs> she's completely hilarious about it. she goes this is what it would look like in a professional studio this is what i look like at home <laughs> and she talks about um like body image and loving yourself and you know just being a happy happy person so yeah and i think what rose means in terms of like representation um for like asian americans in star wars like just giving a whole new brackets of people somebody to look up to and like identify with in star wars is just another massive step forward and like she's just like she is just a person who happens to be asian american which is like how it should be like i saw a comment from someone who's like there's actually an asian american in a, a movie who isn't a kung fu expert or <laughs> selling stupid herbal remedies and stuff and i was just like yeah yeah that, that like she is just who she is and mm -hmm. like at first when her first interaction with finn went because they kind of they did build her up as like a finn fangirl yeah. and like her first scene is kind of like oh my god you're finn you're like the hero of the resistance and i was just like oh no but they they quickly shut that down mm -hmm. like she obviously like cares greatly for finn um but she holds but him accountable can... at the same yes. time but they they <laughs> they back they back off on the whole sort of like she is in awe of him type thing mm -hmm. Um, until she kisses him. Yeah, um, which I'm that like, was. Eh, I don't need that it. That was odd. I don't need I did it. Feel bad, but I was glad that he did not kiss her back. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I because it's sort of um, I I think that had he kissed her back, it it would have been. I mean, not that I would have not believed that they had become close through their experience, but I I think that. Um, his reaction was a little more what we might have expected because their relationship started unevenly too, where she was looking up to him. I mean, granted, then she tased him and, you know, then she's sort of teaching him about inequality and oppression and stuff like that. But um, it was, I, I, I was glad it was not resolved in a very obvious way. I attribute that to her spending her day behind pipes and really <laughs> doing talking with people. Yeah, that maybe yeah. she didn't know how. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, maybe, but well, he, well, he doesn't either. I mean, he's been a stormtrooper since he yeah. was a little kid, right? Yeah, we're all awkward yeah, people, so... and Rose is sure we are the most awkward of us all. <laughs> and um, I and I thought Paige. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was about to say Paige. Oh, Let's okay. go on to Paige. Yeah, she was cool. Excellent. Um, really she, excellent. I mean, she wasn't on for like very little time and i don't think she actually has a speaking role i don't think she actually she, says anything i think she maybe one or two lines at the most yeah, she but might yeah say the, guy's name, the bomb yeah. the guy that she thought was down below i think yes. she yeah. says his, yeah, that's it yes um but her i mean the fact that they went into the gunner cockpit and they followed her from the moment she realized things were not going great to her her moment of sacrifice, oh man, that's like brings me to tears, and that's early on in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. And she... In terms of like quickly like giving you um like a character, and you like like say when 
when she dies you're kind of like oh my god that's like incredibly sad and you, it does such a good job in like seconds of like just making you empathize with her mm-hmm. and the fact that she's just so damn heroic mm-hmm. um and I, I thought that was fantastic like i i want like there needs to be like a book about like the bomber squad and there give, give me is. that there is and i just want to inject real quick because it is a short one um elizabeth wine writes the last jedi cobalt squadron and it talks about what they are doing basically when starkiller base stuff is going on because you don't see the bombers in the force awakens you see them here uh so it follows Paige and rose and it talks about the relationship these two sisters had um how they've they're like inseparable until the moment that they they do their mission in the book and vice admiral holdo comes to them and says uh we need you guys to come back now i'm going with you because starkiller basin just uh took out the entire republic and we just blew it up and we need you guys now um and so it kind of you know holdo was the one who told Rose, like, hey, I need you to do something different than be on the same ship as your sister. I know this has never happened before, you know, and it's Rose trying to be brave and separate herself from her sister. So you can imagine, mm-hmm. like, the amount of guilt she has in that, in the beginning of the movie when she's like, I should have died on that ship too. I was supposed ah. to be on there. But they held her back and... for the um, evacuation and basically they needed her in engineering and mechanical to make sure everything went smoothly does she say anything about like putting new engines in the bombers because they're so slow she she, (laughs) (laughs) i'm Uh, sad there was like oh my god these things are so slow i think it's because they were armed um that they they move slowly but in the book she uh develops a um oh i forgot what it's called but it's, it's a piece of machinery that more or less cloaks the bombers so unless you have visual on them you you don't see them uh, which is, you know, the bulk of the book is about them running supplies to Altera, Atera, not Altera, Atera, and dropping um, supplies for basically a small group of rebels. And, you know, she developed this thing that cloaks them so they can move stealthily in and, and come back out without being on scanners unless someone just sees the bomber. So um, oh, she's a cool. very brilliant character. Yeah. yeah. And also the bombs are magnetic, people. Electromagnet. So. Magno, I think, is what the Visual Dictionary calls it. So it's like, yeah. guys, you can't you can't pull one over on Pablo Hidalgo. He, That's you, another one that, that one like thing. frustrates me as like the amount of people trying to like pick holes in the science of Star Wars. I was like, so what if there's noise in space and bombs fall? There's people who can move rocks with their minds. Like, yeah. come on, that's not the hill that's... to die on, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I feel, and I just, in, in terms of criticism, though, I, w- I was hard, we were all hard on Poe earlier, mm-hmm. deservedly yes. so, I think, but I guess it's fair to also point out that um, although he should not technically have made the decision that he made to ignore General Organa's orders and continue with the assault, they did bring down the ship. True. And so that possibly helped the resistance you know get away mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know lots of sacrifices entire bombing squadrons gone yes uh is there anything else we want to say about the last jedi before i think we should talk about leia yep. oh yes yeah yes i wanted 
talk about Leia, and I want to talk about the end also. Oh, yes. But yes. Leia first. Okay. Leia. I mean, where do we where do we start? Where do we man? start? I mean, like the the second she showed up on screen, my I was just like I was welling up. Um, and like I I love like where they take her in this. Like they give her so much more like just clout and just like she they just build her as a figure in the rebellion up so much more and like obviously she she is the figurehead of it but like the the fact that she is they finally sort of establish her as the one that everybody looks to Mm -hmm. um and just the fact that she wears like a really cool coat all the way through the film. I really like that. Um, Except when, for when she shoots Poe and she's wearing all white. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's also hospital gown. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I liked the way it echoed A New Hope. Yeah. Shows yeah. up. Hopefully they let her wear a bra this time, though. I hope so. Yeah, I can't imagine Carrie putting up with that crap no. anymore. Um, uh, like, one, uh, another criticism of the film that really frustrates me is the fact that like there's the whole scene where like the whole inner ship gets blown um and she gets shot out into space and i was just like no way they they are not she isn't going out like this um and then like that whole scene for me like, like God damn, did Carrie Fisher and Leia deserve that moment? Like, mm-hmm. we, we know that Leia is force sensitive and just kind of, as always, just, you know, never really, you know, just chose not to sort of follow that path. Because right. she, she got a lot have, of work to do. <laughs> no, quite to have that it moment. It says that in the visual dictionary. Mm-hmm. It says she that she was too busy and had other work to do so she would did not decided not to train yeah and to have that moment for like obviously this is like it has a greater significance in hindsight because like Carrie Fisher is no longer with us um but to to give her that moment and just be like yeah actually like she she isn't just for sensitive she can she can use it mm-hmm. and the fact that like all right, it it does look a bit goofy, like everyone's saying she looks like um, Mary Poppins. But how else visually do you, um, like, like visually people using the Force has always been them reaching out with their hand, mm-hmm. and like, how else are you gonna do it? You get, like, whether do people want her to like put one hand on her hip and like fly like Superman, or like mm-hmm. it like the criticism of it? And I I do agree that it it did look silly but it, i bet she it loved made, it though <laughs> it made sense in in terms of like like the the visual visually established way of like people like when someone reaches out with their hand in star wars mm-hmm. you know that like okay they're they're doing something with the force and that like that was how it needed to be um and i just thought like that moment was just incredible like i was just like 
I, I just I don't think I blinked for that whole scene. I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. So I've got like a bit of a headcanon about Leia and her older years. Um, the, the whole bridge blows up. Everyone dies except her. And nobody bats an eye about that. Um, <laughs> right, so I right. feel like what's been going on for decades with Leia is that she always survives weird circumstances. <laughs> and they all be like... I guess it's the force. Like they, they just all accept yeah. it. And they're like, nobody's surprised by it. Nobody's like, we don't know how she got back in or how she survived space. They're like, oh, it's Leia. Here she is again. <laughs> so yeah. it again. it's just one of those things where it's like, in my mind, I'm thinking like, she's, well, I think bloodline actually um, kind of shows like assassination attempts on her. If I remember yeah. correctly, that throughout her whole life, there's been so many like moments where she should have died, but she, calls upon the force and survives and at this point with her being 60 and a general they're like yeah she's our leia <laughs> yeah and yeah, that's why she I, is she's a survivor totally yeah and i i did like the 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 build-up to it of cutting back and forth between her and kylo was was good yes that, that he didn't pull the trigger so that kind of gives you some hint that he's conflicted it was also good, but then somebody else pulled the trigger. Yeah. Um, and she knows it's coming. You see her take a big breath in mm -hmm. right before the blast blows out. Yes. I thought that was a nice little detail also. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I have to agree with what you said, Hugh. I did not like the way it looked. I, I thought it just looked super fake. And uh, that undercut it a little bit for me. But I loved the fact that they did it. Mm -hmm. So I had those two conflicting feelings. And... And again, to reference the novels, you know, she, it is kind of the, the old novels play out kind of the way that you see it play out here, which is that she resists formal training for a very long time. And only when she is sort of much older and finally is no longer chief of state of the new Republic, does she consent to become a Jedi apprentice, not to Luke, but to, to a different master. Um, and she starts training sort of formally as a Jedi. So if you want to read about Leia Force user, there are certain novels that, again, I could point you to if, if you want. So I wasn't surprised at all by her ability to use it. I, mm -hmm. I, did, I didn't love the visual of it. And, but then the, there was a meta part that I couldn't get around. I think you two felt the same way, which is that I'm like, when she's on the gurney and they're like, talking about how she's crashing i'm like that's carrie fisher dying on that gurney you know it just was so painful to me yeah. to watch. um and now she's in a coma it's like oh my god <laughs> you know yeah. and that yeah. was and i wanted just so everyone's clear we're recording on december 31st so carrie fisher died a year and four days ago and the, the person who told me when it actually happened was hugh I was returning a, a Christmas sweater and I got a text that just said, she's gone. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I just stood there in this store like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for what it's worth, I'm glad that they let Leia live in this movie. Yeah. I think it would have been, you know, I, I'm glad she had her full story. Um, in this movie. And I know, they kept, you know, the whole thing about seven was Han, eight was Luke, nine's supposed to be Leia. Yeah. As far as a send off for our original trilogy, main three. But I can't help but think that this one was a true send off for her. Um, yeah. 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 
It was, but I can also, I definitely saw some writing out there, some some fan commentary out there about why didn't they just change it and have her die because they have nowhere to go with Carrie Fisher in the next movie. And I understand the, the meta point of that, but I also understand that this entire movie was built around Luke's sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And to sacrifice them both in one movie is not as structurally satisfying, I think, in terms of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and, sorry. Um, no, I was going to say, and other people also said why she should have taken Holdo's place, but it's like, well, how would you have filmed that? But whatever. Yeah. yeah. And also, just from like a sentimental point of view, I, I think just out of sheer respect for Carrie Fisher, just, you know, don't go back and change what they've done because she's gone. And I, I, if they, if they had, I, I, like I'm, you know, I can't speak for her, but I think she would have hated that. Like the fact that they would have gone back and like made a point of the fact yeah. that she wasn't there anymore. Like, okay, it does work them into a bit of a narrative hole, but like you can just, you can still, okay, it was it was a bit weird in Rogue One, but you can have her just like, I, I would be comfortable with her just appearing, like have her just appear like via like hollow communication or something like that in in this one and just you know have a be in the background and just still be there and like have a be out there um so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see how episode nine resolves mm-hmm. um leia's story mm-hmm. and that scene with her and luke just absolutely oh. Destroyed me when he held her hand and said, "Nobody is ever really gone." I was just oh, like, no. tears, tears. like, "Yeah, I was in floods. I was gone, absolutely gone." But I should say that my my um, I, and I do want to talk about that scene definitely. But just to cycle back slightly, I teared up at a number of points during this movie. But the first time that tears rolled down my face was when Luke said to R two, "Nothing you can say." <laughs> Yeah. my mind and he played that hologram and I was five and a half years old and just tears down the face yeah. mm-hmm. uh, how about Holdo and Leia oh when, so good when she's so like good. you've yeah. taught me about sacrifice you've taught me about loss yeah I'm like oh, this, this movie is gonna kill me it was tough it was a tough watch yeah, yeah definitely but but the but the Luke Leia I know what you're gonna say I changed my hair it was perfect. It and was he's perfect. like, yeah, I was going to yeah. say that. <laughs> Let's get that way. I, I did read that maybe Carrie Fisher wrote that line or mm-hmm. changed it from something else, but I can't remember where I read that. Yeah, I think she did. Um, I think she did write a lot of her own lines for this. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know how much truth there is for that, but I've seen it in quite a few articles saying that like most of her script was her own. Which is fine, because mm-hmm. let's face it, Carrie Fisher was, like, you know, as well as being, like, known for her acting, she was, like, the amount of movies she saved with script doctoring <laughs> was yep. nobody's business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and then Luke. Yeah. At the very... And it's one of those things where, um, you know, he was so resistant for this whole movie about getting involved nothing you can do will change my mind uh i failed i'm here to die and then that reconnection to the force and then his big moment 
Yeah. Um, and it was one of those where as soon as he removed that hood and he looked different, I'm like, did he clean up before he left? Or, uh, and then the blue lightsaber, I was like, uh-oh, this is not right. This is not No, I thought, off. and I agreed, but when, when he first was talking to Leia and it seemed like nobody else was reacting, mm-hmm. at first I thought, is she the only one that sees him? Is she having that but, force bond with him? Yes, right. Yeah. And then I thought, well, it, and then he winked at 3PO. So I thought, okay, it's not that. So then I thought, is he already dead? Because I just, and, and then I abandoned that when he walked out and was facing Kylo. And then I thought, oh, no, don't do the let him strike you down. I mean, the, I, the number of times during this movie where I was saying, no, 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 <laughs> it was actually quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I, but you know, I was I was basically wrong all three times, right? First, yeah. I thought it was a force bond. Then I thought he was already dead. Then I thought he was going to let Kylo strike him down. And again, it wasn't what I thought I wanted, right? But it was what I needed, and it was clever. So then, when they cut to the shot, I didn't. I don't think I noticed the first time that Kylo never connected with him physically. Yeah. Yeah. He and I saw, think yeah, I think I didn't notice because he had touched Leia. Mm-hmm. So I thought. So that I was confused. And then when they cut to the shot of him hovering, I was just like, yes, <laughs> like, you know, back, back on Octo with the with the he's sitting, um, you know, in kind of a meditative stance. Like notice. Right. So first I went, yes. And then, of course, I went, no, <laughs> kill you. <laughs> but there was that other like visual um, thing where like I, I didn't even notice it at the time the thing that sort of like got my brain going is like is he actually there was his hair and his beard mm-hmm. yeah um but then it was the whole thing of like he wasn't leaving any, any footprints. footprints and they do so many times there's so many shots where they actually like they make a point of showing yes. that these people are leaving like red footprints on this planet and even during the battle like, ben's yes. footprints yeah kylo cracks his foot a little bit too yeah and I didn't even I didn't even notice it the first time I, around. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. I must say the first time around, I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I don't know what it yeah. is. And yeah. then and then showing him, I was like, that's brilliant. But yeah. I think it was an appropriate send off for Luke. I I like that he came back. He said, Ben, I failed you. I'm not here to save you. Uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, this whole idea that he doesn't believe Ben is. Ben can be saved. Yeah. And he disagrees mm-hmm. with Ray about that. Uh, so his whole mission to be there was, again, distracting. Um, probably a little bit happy about the frustration he gives him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I love that bit when he brushes his shoulder off. Yeah. Yes. He's just, like just egging him on, just getting him mad so that his sister and her group of rebels will leave. And, you know, that's how he goes out. It's, I mean, it's not as big and as showy as taking down a Death Star. It's, it's not anything that is, the sacrifice he makes seems so small in the grand scheme of things. But it is, again, what we need in that moment. Yeah, because he, he essentially saves the, the rebellion, like... If it wasn't for him, um, like we end the movie with like 
so few people that the Millennium Falcon can carry them all. <laughs> and I, th I think the this, although they never actually say it, it this movie feels to me like we're transitioning away from it being the resistance and being back to the rebellion. Because mm -hmm. um, they mention it, like Finn calls himself Rebel Scum, <laughs> um, and I think they refer to themselves as our, you know, this small band of rebels again. Hold Holdo says, "Godspeed, rebels." Yeah. As they leave. Um, I was surprised and, you said Godspeed, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> that, that just seemed like a not Star Wars word to use. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, yeah, it was quite telling how she doesn't use, like, may the force be with you. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah, I, I remember thinking that myself. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Does Luke say um, the rebellion is reborn or does he say the resistance is reborn? I think he oh. says the rebellion is re reborn. Yeah. The war is not over. Yeah. I think, I think that's what he says. I think it's rebellion is reborn. Mm -hmm. But um, that's how wars work in real life, though. It's not usually blowing up the Death Star. It's usually uh, small sacrifices that add up and change the tide mm -hmm. over time. Yes. Um, yeah, but he, but he's he sort of has he embraces it once he opens himself back up to the Force and he feels Leia, I assume in particular, mm -hmm. and realizes what's going on. Um, you know, he, he feels like, okay, I have to be Luke Skywalker, comma, legend one more time. Mm -hmm. Because that's what people, people think this of me, then I'm going to show it to them. And I'm going to use all the, the power, I don't mean literally power, but the power of the legend, right, to um, embolden the resistance and intimidate the First Order. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's such a, like, everybody before this movie came out because of like the force awakens and everybody saying oh it was a lot like the new hope everybody was going to say mm -hmm. saying uh, this this movie's going to end like empire strikes back where you know it's the situation is like dire and there's no no way back for them and we're not sure where they're going to go but this like although they've been like they take a beat in but there's a very like hopeful like air to the end of this film um, mm -hmm. And like you say, with with Luke doing what he does, it kind of goes back to that like the rebellion is built on hope type type thing. Yeah, and he yeah. does like yeah. he, that is a really good point, Carolyn, because you like he he still is the hope. He yeah he they need that figure ahead again where they can go. Wow yeah th we can do this we can you know we can overcome this like massive power that we're fighting so. I did. I did like the fact that, like, it, just that final shot with that boy with the broom. Yes. I was yeah. just like, cool. That is like, that was. It was again. It was a tiny thing, but it was quite a big statement for me in terms of like, you know, this, you know, there's hope out there. Um, and also going back to the legend, shortly before mm -hmm. the little boy with the broom was the little boy telling the story about Jedi Master Luke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and what he's doing in the you know in the far corners of the galaxy over the past. 40 years, his legend has grown to the point where it's still inspiring and these kids are still like making up stories about him. Yep, yep. So he's got to know that. Um, oh, one more thing, unless you guys have more to talk about. Um, Ryan Johnson saying Luke is the last Jedi. Um, I think there was, 
a story. Uh, I can't remember what outlet before this movie came out where people yeah. were like, what is I the last Jedi? It. Yeah. What is, who is the last Jedi? Um, you know, kind of like how they were asking George, who's the Phantom Menace? And <laughs> he's just like, well, obviously the last Jedi is Luke. Duh. <laughs> like, why are you guys debating this? This is point blank. The last Jedi is Luke. And then Luke in the movie saying, I am not the last <laughs> of the Jedi. I'm like, I know. you son of a bitch. What are you doing? Like, I don't yeah. Why do we ever believe them? Why do we ever believe what they say before movies come out? Well, it's, come it out? says it in the opening crawl of The Force Awakens. It refers to Luke as the last Jedi. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. So, you know, sneaky, sneaky. But mm-hmm. I'm, still, I'm still banking on Rey not becoming a Jedi and just becoming a balanced Force user. Uh, yeah, a good person who uses the Force. I hope. Um, but yeah, I, I love that moment where I was like, oh, so, Ryan, like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, was... I, I, I do have two more things, okay. but each of them is quick. And number one is another, um, another point of controversy out there was the humor. What did you two think about, I mean, did you, some people apparently felt that there were too many funny lines that maybe they undercut more emotional moments or didn't allow emotional moments to land as well? Did you, I thought the humor was okay, but what did you two think? I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those where I actually laughed out loud in theaters um, or, or in my case, usually giggled, giggled out loud, like the porgs and the lightsaber, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's yeah. so funny. Or, you know, Leia smacking Poe and telling him to get his head out of his cockpit. And I'm like, that's yep. I like that one. Euphemism. Uh, <laughs> yes. So any any of these like small moments that they had, I didn't like the BB-8 scenes as much. Um, he was a, he was a little bit of a Deus ex machina half the True. time, uh, which again very meta. Rose and Finn looking at each other like, what? How did this droid do that? You know? Yeah. How is he still alive? You know all that kind of stuff. I mean, again this movie has to appeal to a very wide audience. So those BB-8 moments may not appeal to me so much as a 28-year-old woman, but they may appeal to an 8-year-old little girl or something like that, which, eh, I can deal with it. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that is the other thing about, like, the whole um, response to this movie is, like, people need to remember that these... Star Wars movies have always been for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm looking at my DVDs of the original trilogy now, and they have a U certificate on them, which is like, that's like a Disney movie um, certificate. Like, that, that is like anybody of any age can go and see those films. Obviously, now they're like PG-13 or whatever. But, you know... I, I like the humor in it. I, I, do, I don't think it, like, not all of the jokes landed for me, but that's a subjective thing. But even when they didn't land, I still went, huh, you know, that, that it made me smile. Like, there was a, but there was a few occasions where it outrightly made me laugh. Like, mm-hmm. I love that bit at the start with um, when Poe is, like, facing down the Star Destroyer and he's just like, is uh, Hux there? Can, can I speak to Hux? Yeah, I'll, I'll hold, I'll hold. <laughs> And like that made me laugh. I think they strung it out a little bit too long. That that I, joke. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think they were kind of like trying to do the whole thing where it was like it's funny the first time, not quite so funny the second or third, but it'll mm. get funny again. Um, so there was a few times where I think they made missteps with the humor, but I don't. Th- 
I, I don't think it, it doesn't detract from the movie in any way, shape, or form. Like when when the movie has like emotional beats, they they're no less sad when they need to be or significant because of the humor. And I I do think um, people seem to be adverse to like a bit of levity in films these days, which just seems to be odd like when you look at earlier this year like you watch Thor Ragnarok that movie was an outright like goofy comedy Mm -hmm. and it was fantastic like but again not all of the humor landed um and I you know I I just think that in in this they like you said Mara there needs to be something for everybody and with with a lot of kids watching it and it being a two and a half hour movie You've got to give something to people to to lighten the mood and keep you know keep people invested. So mm-hmm. giving somebody a laugh now and then is the perfect way to do that. So yeah, I, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I I did too. And then the, the the second thing I wanted to mention was a numerical thing. And Mara, I'm only I'm doing this more because I mentioned it the last couple times we mm-hmm. did we these kind of podcasts where. When the last, uh, sorry, when the Force Awakens came out, certainly there were some people who were thrilled, thrilled that the central character was a young woman, and other people were not so thrilled, uh, or not maybe so thrilled at the diversity of the three new main characters, mm-hmm. while other people were. And there was a lot of, wow, women are the center of this movie. Wow, this really busts the Bechdel test and all that. It doesn't because there's only one conversation between Ray and Maz, whatever. But so I I looked at the credits and I added up how many men and how many women there were mm-hmm. for The Force Awakens. So in The Force Awakens, there are 109 credits. And of those 109 credits, 88 are men and uh, 21 are women so the force awakens including people who never speak who are in the background was 19 percent women and the last jedi i was expecting it to be different because when i was watching it i felt like they made more of an effort to have um crowd scenes that were a little more equitable than usual but it turns out it's almost exactly the same no Um, way the, the Force Awakens, 109 people, 81% men, 19% women. The Last Jedi, 92 people, 80% men, 20% women. There are 74 men and 18 women named on the credit page. That sucks. I mean, uh, I do think the the female cast members. Um, I think there's there seems to be more of them that get speaking parts. I agree. Like, so I think one thing I did, like there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I did really like the fact that like Billy Lord had like she actually had a character in this as opposed to her being like stood behind her mother. Lieutenant yeah. in some scenes. Lieutenant yeah. Um and Commander so, yeah, Dassey that... as well, another older woman in position of power. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um who had speaking roles. Yeah, and I like Mara's reaction to that. Like, is much the same as mine. Like, it, it feels like there's a lot more women in this movie than like I suppose there are, and that's that's a shame. Um, but like, I guess there. I I we would have to have a look into it. But I maybe there are more speaking roles for women in this, which is why it feels different. Yeah, I mean, for the for the Force Awakens. Um, 
I guess it was just that I was able to take notes differently when I took notes, but I had forgotten that when I saw it in the theater, I was taking notes and I was also noting exactly how many women are speaking and exactly how many men are speaking. And I, I only have, I can't tell you the perfect number in The Last Jedi because I think I started doing it and then I stopped, but it did seem like more women had um, speaking roles that were not just, you know, fire on the base kind of speaking roles where it's not really central in any way. Um, So yeah, I think that qualitatively, the main cast was more diverse in terms of race and ethnicity and gender. Um, but but quantitatively, surprisingly, the credits are exactly the same as The Force Awakens. Rogue One was down a little bit. That was 103 people, 88% men, 12% women. That doesn't surprise me. No, that but that's the thing. In Rogue One, that number didn't surprise me. In The Last Jedi, it did surprise me. Mm. Yeah, me too. And one and and sorry, this was my last thing. I swear. And yeah. one of those women um, was Gwendolyn Christie, right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Phasma was one of the big, my, actually probably is my, the one thing that I guess I could say pissed me off about the film because she's had like, the her book was like one of the sort of like the road to the last Jedi books. And like after, like I listened to the audio book of that and I was like, wow, they're like really giving her like, like she's an absolute like, murdering yeah. in that case badass like she is unbeatable like she Absolutely. is a like, she is unbeatable. a phenom unbeatable yeah. is the perfect word yeah she's like she's like the friggin undertaker of the star wars universe um <laughs> and she she loses a fight to finn purely because she's like she takes her eye off the ball and she's sloppy and i was i i just I was just so disappointed that they were fighting. But yeah, Phasma will be back in episode eight. And I was like, cool, okay, we're going to get a bit more substance from her. And we get a small amount. Like, I love the whole thing where, like, she's walking towards, I think it's Rose, and she shoots a blaster at her, and it just, like, pings off her armor. And I was like, okay, we're going to get, like, a real, like, standout, like, Phasma moment. And then that whole fight between her and Finn was like, two three minutes and the way it concluded was just so like i wouldn't have any problem if if finn had like bested her but the way he did just it just does not sit right to me as like far as where they've built phasma's character up to be um and like i'm not convinced that like her falling into that like flaming abyss is the end of her like i think they would be a would have been a bit more definitive about it like i'm hoping they do bring up like she is in episode nine and they actually give her like her dues but after the the building up up to do that in this film i was just like that is so frustrating i don't think they know what to do with her on screen yeah. At all. They don't, they, you know, they kind of introduced this trio of villainy and Hux, Kylo, and Phasma, and the only one of them to have any actual development on screen is Kylo. Mm-hmm. And Hux backslid majorly in this movie as far as, you know, villainy. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, oh, it's petty. I don't like him. 
Um, but Phasma, for sure, they, they just don't know what to do with her. And, and you know, it could be runtime. It could be limited amount of, of minutes for everyone to get their moment. Um, and luckily, that's what books and comics are for. And the comic series that came out this year, I liked a lot um, in the novel as well. But just on screen, it's like, mm, is this the same character or someone else underneath that Phasma armor? But... Yeah, yeah, that's because the like I, I would agree with what what Hugh said about the novel. Um, I mean, the whole theme of that novel is she will do anything to survive. You know, from the time she's a teenager until the time she uh, becomes basically part of the first order, she is quite literally unbeatable. I mean, she does amazing things, and she is not only physically amazing. Um, you know, I mean, just in raw strength, but also her strategy, her, her strategizing and just the quickness with which she can figure ways out of seemingly impossible situations. Um, when you put those things together, and, and of course, that's the whole point of the book, right? It's because she wasn't, uh, her character was just so unsatisfying. She looked so cool, but did virtually nothing in The Force Awakens, right? So we're going to write this book and this comic series that fill it all out. And then what you see in episode eight just doesn't feel like the same unbelievable badass that yeah. they're trying to show you in the book and the, and the comic. And that was a bummer. I thought maybe, okay, when she fell down in the fire, I thought, okay, if she comes out of there on fire, I'm in for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that would <laughs> be cool. <laughs> right? Um, and I mean, and so I, I did think, okay, wow, I, are they just going to have... Um, Finn and Rose be captured by her and but for some reason not kill them. But then when she gave the kill order, it was kind of like, well, how can this go in a way that she gets to do something interesting? Um, you know, they kind of wrote themselves into a corner, I guess. And I do think time is an issue, but like Hugh said at the beginning, there's probably a little fat that could have been trimmed yeah. to give her to give her five minutes instead of two, even. Um, I don't know. So yeah, I, I was I was disappointed by that too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, because when when she gives the kill order, I was just kind of like thinking to myself, knowing what I know about Phasma after after going through the book, I was just kind of like, she's just going to pull the trigger herself and just kill them herself. Because this is a this is a woman who like for starters like crippled her own brother. Yep. Then killed him. Um, killed Huxley's father. She killed, killed her parents, right? She killed everybody who knows who she is and where she's from. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not shy in like pulling the trigger and like ending somebody's life. Yeah. If- and I was just sat there thinking, oh my god, like this is this is dire for those yeah. two. And then when she walked away, I was just going like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, to, to highlight that again and, you know, spend a little bit of time in the comic. Um, I don't think we have to spend too much time. It's only four issues. The um, Kelly Thompson, Marco Cicchetto miniseries is basically Phasma hunting down the one person who might know she lowered the shields so she can kill him and pin yeah. it all on him so that she can continue to survive in the First Order. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a letdown for the character. Um, I I don't foresee them bringing her back for episode nine. Yeah, that'll be annoying if they don't. Yeah. And I feel sorry for Gwendolyn Christie because she's such a great actress. And Mm -hmm. 
like Phasma could be like a really cool like legendary character um but she's in she's kind of she's a massive risk of ending up being the boba fett of this new trilogy mm. totally um so yeah it was a shame i was really disappointed about about the way they treated her yeah yep yep me too okay all right last jedi the last jedi the last jedi um just the, just the two hours talking about that yeah yeah uh <laughs> had to be done it had done. to be done yes Two and a half hour Agreed. movie. I mean, there's a lot to to piece out. We could we could have, yeah, we could have just narrated the whole thing, and it would have been <laughs> the same. Yeah, way. that's true. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Star Wars Rebels. Uh, in our May the Fourth episode, I believe we talked about the end of season three. Yes. Uh, so go ahead and. You know, uh, we call it May the Fourth. It's actually Star Wars' 40th anniversary because it that's was right, that's right. May 25th. Yes. Sorry about mm-hmm. that, guys. Confusion there. Um, so this time, I'd kind of like to hit on the first half of season four. Um, and I rewatched it, but now I'm thinking, like, do I remember what happened? No, the Heroes of Mandalore arc, um, introdu- reintroduction of Saw Gerrera, the Tie Defender. Um, mm-hmm episode um the loth wolf yeah wolf low oh gosh loth wolf yeah i think they call it yeah um and and those funny little cat things yes those cats yes uh so the the beginning of the season for me was the highlight Um, yes yeah i agree so i mean the rest of the episodes are great, and they add flavor to our overall Star Wars universe. But man, every time the Mandalorians show up, I'm like, all in. You know, nobody talk to me. Turn my phone off. Let me just immerse myself in this this culture that they've got going on, and bringing back Bo Katan, mm-hmm. and showing how Sabine. She, I mean, she could lead the Mandalorians, but she knows that's not her her end game that's not her her goal in life and giving her a bit of redemption as well for her time with the empire yeah i mean it's all it was all well done i i love that arc those those first two episodes in the series there's so much done um if nothing else gets done with sabine for the rest of the season i'll be satisfied i I think she had a lot of good quality work done with the character season three and season four so far yeah i i I would say that sabine would be a much stronger central character than ezra Uh, the way that they the the way that the way that they have been written Mm -hmm. and and i don't want to say acted and i don't want to i mean it's certainly not the fault of, of the voice actors i just think that when they write for sabine they just give her more interesting more compelling stuff to do and Mm -hmm. and ezra doesn't progress really in the same way no yeah i think ezra suffers from the fact that like he doesn't have like a very deep or compelling backstory whereas sabine has that entire like history of a a race of people behind her Mm. um like okay like the crux of like the second half of the first half of season four if that makes sense 
is them mm-hmm. going going to Lothal and like you know Ezra kind of like wanting to um, go back and possibly like even liberate the planet. Yeah. Um, but Sabine's story is so much more interesting. And I think I think the the two sort of like main female characters in the show are probably two of the most interesting characters in it for me anyway because I really like Hera as well she is awesome mm-hmm. um like the the stuff they're doing with her in in this season like she is just like like as in as far as a fighter goes and like uh you know a a soldier in the rebellion she is just an absolute badass so yeah I, I the whole Mandalore thing at the start of the season, like I think they could have, I think maybe if they had structured the season, this season a little bit differently and sort of having this as the mid season, like that as the mid season, um, and then go back to the Lothal thing, it would have like flowed a bit better, but it just seems to be up until the mid season break past the, um, whole thing with Sabine it seemed like it feels very much like they're sort of setting it up for something as mm-hmm. opposed to actually sort of giving us a meaty story um, which when you consider there's only you know the second half of the season to go I think they need uh, they need to get moving in terms of like this show needs to finish with a bang because um, it's, it's it, this that's it after this season isn't it yes so, yeah so yeah, it's 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 a funny one. Like I, I'm trying to look for where they're sort of building it up to, like, be this big crescendo to end the show with. And right now, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure where they, where it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. But I trust in Dave Filoni. I you know, oh yeah, definitely. he's ending it on his terms. So whatever happens this coming year with the the second half of the season, I think is going to be an incredible addition to the overall story. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, there's not a whole lot I have in addition to that to say about Star Wars Rebels, um, other than just continuing to recommend it to people. A lot of folks don't know what it is, I guess. Um, But I mean, it's all in canon storytelling. It all pieces together. And Hera ends up on a cover of Dr. Aphra that's been Mm -hmm. solicited, so you know yes (laughs) y'all y'all gotta watch star wars rebels Mm -hmm. um there there was also there was kissing yes there was (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah when they finally actually kissed i was like yay a long last (laughs) that damn time well the thing is like in in my mind i feel like they're always kissing when the camera's not there okay that's how i interpret that like we finally get that on screen kiss i'm like school kids you guys you guys always kissing behind the 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 ship <laughs> making out like but teenagers it, back there behind, behind the U wing <laughs> shed. But do you, do you feel like Kanan also this season has less to do? Yeah, yeah. but he had a lot to yeah. do last season. True, so true. It's time for others to step up. I'm I'm ready for Hera's big moment. I mean, she had the Ryloth stuff, but I felt like that was more yep. about her father than her. Yeah, and that's she, fair. And she had that B wing episode. Which mm-hmm. was a great episode, but yeah, I I'm ready for her stepping into the leadership, big time. Uh, yeah, she becomes General Sandula. Right. By the time Rogue One hits. Well, so, okay, we're assuming that's her. It could it could be 
her father, right? Well, He's the still ghost alive. is there and Chopper's there, so that's true. I'm, You're right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that the, they end this show with it like intersecting with Rogue One in mm-hmm. some way or form because like mm-hmm. they've established that the, rebe- the rebels have set up the base on Yavin so there's you know there's it could happen so yeah. uh, what about the saw parts did you like the saw parts uh, I'm kind of over saw <laughs> yeah um, and I think part of it is because he he died in Rogue One and I got the gist of the character. And then I read Rebel Rising and I got, okay, I know more about the character. And then they showed him in season three. I'm like, all right, all right. And then he's back in season <laughs> four. I'm like, I know he is basically a terrorist. I'm good. Let's, you know, why are we still holding on to him? He's supposed to be isolated. He's supposed to be so far apart from the rebellion because the rebellion's not doing what he thinks they need to do. So I'm like, no, I. I agree. I thought it was repetitive. I, I liked that they worked in the crystals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that I was I was OK with. But yeah, I mean, overall, I just I thought that what we've seen so far of this season were really good spotlights for um, Sabine and Hera and Sabine, not just the Mandalore part, but now it's kind of coming back to me now. The part with the Thai defender. Yeah, that was cool, too. Yeah. And Rook um, showing up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Rook, yeah. Uh, voiced by do, Warwick Davis. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain who Rook is? From uh, Thrawn, the yeah. trilogy from the Legends. Um, they've reintroduced this character who... Uh, he, wasn't he like Thrawn's like, bodyguard, sort of? Like yes. A right, kind of mm-hmm. like a right-hand yeah. man, but not like in terms of leadership, but like, I need you to get stuff done. You know, assassin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, also unbeatable, basically. Unbeatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so introducing him as this uh, creepy assassin alien guy. So I think that was nice. Yes. Yeah, he was really cool. And also kind of gives us a definitive look. What is that? What is his species? Um, is he Nogri? I think it's Nogri. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Because uh, we had a youngling in the Attack of the Clones who was Nogri that we saw during the, the training sequence with Yoda. And I think um, Rebels kind of reminds us and reestablishes what that character looks like. Because, you know, a young Ling's wearing a Jedi robe, Xana has a helmet on. You don't really see all of what he looked like. So, um, And also the movements. Uh, I was watching a Rebels recall when they were talking about animating how he runs and acts and sniffs and things like that. Yeah, that was cool. And yes, he is Nogri. Okay. Which uh, which is a uh, I don't know is race the right word which is a species? planet of people species I don't know yeah. that that do play quite a role in that um, Thrawn trilogy which is probably still the the best selling group of novels from the uh, the Legends or expanded universe period they were sort of the first and best mm-hmm. uh, written by written by Timothy Zahn mm-hmm. who also who wrote the Thrawn book uh, that came out. Um, last year yes that, yeah. that we talked about in our may 2017 40 star wars 40th anniversary yes. episode and there is a second thrawn book coming yes and oh I sweet i believe the cover that. has darth vader on it with him yeah cool. so, yeah you know more arinda price hopefully uh, more yes. thrawn and definitely more vader going on so uh, yeah that's to look forward to. yeah uh, uh, what what about the wolves? Did you like the wolves? Wolves, I mean, Loth wolves. 
Yeah, I mean, I I like the idea uh, again of more sensitive creatures um, who are not good or evil, mm. uh, and I I do like calling back to Ezra's training to connect with animals. Yes, I think that mm-hmm. was I think that was good, and also I just feel so happy for Dave Filoni because he loves wolves and he does, <laughs> and and bringing some wolves into his show in the last season, I'm like. Okay, <laughs> it's your show, buddy. This is this is good stuff. Um, let's move on. All to... right. Um, I'm gonna have to give you my apologies and jump off now because my family have arrived for oh. our New Year bash early, so I'm gonna have to leave. That's I'm sorry for you. Uh, we may just skip a little bit of Battlefront then. <laughs> My apologies. Um, if I can rejoin you in a little while, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, and I... then maybe we can pick pick it back up. Um, yeah, but sorry, I'm going to have to jump off for now. Well, okay. Well, if you don't come back, Happy New Year. Yay. Yes, Happy New Year to you both, and may the force be with you. <laughs> and also with you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was waiting for. I can leave now. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I'll let you know if I can come back. Take care. Okay, okay bye both. Bye. Um, may the force be with you and also with you is always one of those phrases where I'm like, am I supposed to say something back to that? You know, it always cracks me up. It doesn't really have the right response, but, and also with you, I guess is triggered from my, uh, the, the years that I was, I don't know, three to seven when I, when I went to church. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was hoping to talk about Battlefront too. Um, Carolyn, I assume you have not played it. Uh, I have not. My game days ended with Atari. Okay, okay. Uh, we bought so it. I, yeah, tell me about it. And um, I was all about it because I read Inferno Squadron. Me too. And loved it. Loved the characters, loved the development. Um, I liked Christy Golden's writing. I liked her uh, when I was reading Dark Disciple. And I yes. think I've read a couple of her Legends books too. Um so, and she had a story in the Legends of Luke Skywalker, also. Yeah, um, or no, wait. from a certain point of no. view. Certain point of view. Yes. Sorry, yeah. Um, so, I, I enjoyed the novel. I enjoyed the characters. Battlefront Two was kind of a mess. Oh, um, why? Well, they outside of the main story, they had a lot of problems with how they rolled out playing hero characters. Um, some of the, uh, there's this whole thing about the loot boxes or whatever, and is it gambling? Is it not? Um, there, there's just a lot of bad publicity with how EA handled Battlefront 2. Yeah, um, I, I did read about it, and I know, and then didn't they roll back whatever they were charging because yeah. there was so much back? So it was one of those things where it's, it was messy. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't play the game, but I made Matt play the storyline. <laughs> story mode and I would come and watch the cutscenes basically mm-hmm. um, Janina Gavankar is amazing I really liked I mean I couldn't stop watching her and obviously she's the main character you play most yeah. of the game so it's kind of hard not to but um, the nuance in acting and the fact that it's a lot of motion capture um, the fact that she fully embraces playing this character and bringing everything to the forefront. I mean, it, it really shows. Um, I, it was just one of those things where it's like, 
you know, the whole storyline is Inferno Squad, something happens where part of the Inferno Squad turns on the Empire and goes rebel. Ah. Yes. So she and Del Uh leave the Empire and join up with Leia and the Rebellion. Cool. So that's, I mean, that's, that's basically it. Um, I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, uh, I can watch this story on YouTube. You know, I don't need to, you know, we sold the game back. Um, Wow. So, and I know they have the new downloaded content and stuff like that. Uh, It was just one of those things where it's like, this story isn't sticking with me, even though I like these characters a lot. Um, There is one part at the very end um, where you see Del and he's a much older man and Kylo Ren shows up. So uh-huh. You get to play as Kylo Ren hunting down Dell. So hmm. it was kind of it was kind of neat. And I know they're adding extra stuff and they have the last Jedi content and stuff like that, but um the the book for me was a lot better than the game. But then again, I'm I'm not one to be compelled to play a video game like that. I just wanted the story. No, but I I think you really enjoyed it, so it's unfortunate. <laughs> He's not here to defend it. <laughs> the, the one thing where the three of us might actually disagree on something, and he's not. <laughs> um, but again, that that being said, I thought uh, Janina um, Gavankar was phenomenal. Um, I I want Aiden to be in other things. So yeah, bad. definitely. Um, I didn't expect much from the book, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So. You know, the, the fact that they went undercover and met up with mm-hmm. Rebel Cell. I mean, I, I it was it was very good. Um, yeah, and you kind of expect, okay, maybe a couple of them will sort of defect um, mm-hmm. and stay behind with the partisans or something like that. But they don't, which is also great because yeah. it's like they believe in the Empire. Mm-hmm. They have maybe different reasons for doing so, but it gave you some more... Okay, I mean, it's not great that you bring kids up inside a propagandistic empire that kills people. I understand yeah. that. But they also, they introduced some shades of gray mm-hmm. with the empire and, yeah. and the Parsons. And, and Aiden was a great character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely recommend reading Inferno Squad. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, looking at books, I'm trying to think what came out next. I think the From a Certain Point of View came out next. Um, and that is our anthology of Star Wars stories from several different authors. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Leia came next. But we'll talk about um, from a certain point of view anyway. Uh, this this book was so much fun to read. Uh, I didn't, a blast. I didn't love every Total story. Blast. But after I read the book, I was like, all right, it's time to watch New Hope again. Um, mm-hmm. There, there were a few stories that really stood out to me, um, and one in particular is a conversation between Obi Wan and Yoda. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which, you know, there's this all. I mean, we always debate like, why was it Luke Skywalker that became a Jedi and not Leia? Obviously, you know, they both have the Force, and one of them was trained as as a senator and is far more level headed. Well, that's the same argument Yoda had. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's us, and he's like, no, don't send me that boy. He's useless. Like, yeah. Bring me the one who is ready right now. 
Um, yeah. And I just, like, the whole time I'm, like, shaking my head at Obi-Wan, like, Obi-Wan, come on, man. But I guess in the end, he knew what he was doing because Leia would certainly not be able to go into the amount of isolation as mm-hmm. the Force, or um, the Visual Dictionary for The Last Jedi tells us that in the long run it had to be Luke because Luke was the only one who wasn't doing anything important. <laughs> exactly. Except moisture farming uh, for one farm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, so this, so this story, uh, so, so each, um, for those of you who haven't read it, each chapter is a different short story by a different author. The reason it's called from a certain point of view is that it is told from the point of view of characters in a new hope, some of whom don't even speak, some of whom speak one line and it's like their whole story. And they're also kind of interstitial moments. So like the, the, this one is called, there is another, and it's this conversation between um, Obi-Wan and Yoda. And I agree. That's one of the, I mean, I would say fully two thirds of them. I really liked mm-hmm. that doesn't even mean the other one third of them were bad. I just didn't like them as much, but there is another is an absolute standout. Yeah. Um, I have the audiobook for this one, but I have not listened to it. Uh, I assume okay. it's great. I, it is. I did. I did do the, the audiobook, and it carried me through uh, a number of commutes. Um, <laughs> there are there <laughs> there are different uh, narrators for different ones, and they do do the the sound effects. Um, I'm trying to. It, it would be hard for me to pick a favorite. There is another. Might be. But just starting from the beginning, the first story is called Ramus mm. and is told from the point of view of Captain Antilles. Yes. And it is a good one. I like just about any story that connects to Leia. I mean, to sure. be honest, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I like the most. Um, I think Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon makes an appearance in this one as well. In, in the Ramus? No, in um, the book, in another yeah. story. Yeah trying to quickly skim for the name of that story. Uh, I don't remember. I think it's a conversation. Yes, it is. Between well, what's and... Oh, no. Yes, that was a good one, too. Yeah. Although I can't remember the um, name of it. But 40 um, there's... stories. There's, mm-hmm. you know, a wide variety of, of um, different styles, different authors, um, comic writers in it as well. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So... But if you ever wanted to know what the trooper was thinking, who shoots Leia in the beginning of the movie, if you ever wanted to know what was going through R5-D4's circuitry when he blew his top off, um, if you wanted to know more about the stormtrooper who bumps his head on the (laughs) ceiling, (laughs) if you were wondering if the Dianoga had an inner life, um, this is the book for you. Yeah. Yeah, they finally made one for you. Or the mouse droid. If you wanted to know what the mouse droid was up to, um, <laughs> other than going down, or why he was going down the hallway beeping, you will find out in this yeah. book. Yeah. Um, so the first two books that are part of this journey to the um, the Last Jedi, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and Phasma, um, both mm-hmm. came out back in September. Um, I read Phasma first because... I, I felt like I needed to eat my vegetables before I had dessert. And Ouch. Dessert was my end. <laughs> and, that's, and that's because that's character-based. It has nothing to do with, I didn't read anything about either book. I just knew, like, ooh, Claudia Gray and Leia. That is, like, uh, I really want to savor that. And I like Delilah S. Dawson, and I like Phasma, but not as much mm-hmm. as I like Leia, you know? 
And and the Phasma book, I no, I I, I actually read the Leia book first, but the the Phasma book, I agree. I almost it wasn't that I didn't care about reading it. I knew I wanted to read it, but I also knew this is going to be sort of this is going to be depressing mm-hmm. and it's going to be violent and and it was but it was also very good but yeah leia i was really looking forward to um for those of you who didn't hear i don't remember if it was the last star wars one we did in may or the one we did before that a year ago where we talked about lost stars by claudia Gr- oh yeah and, and bloodline we, and bloodline we yeah. basically went crazy over both of those books yeah. love them both um and you know we talked a little bit about phasma already as far as the novel goes uh, i don't think there's anything additional than they said that but Leia book oh man I yeah. loved how much we got of Brea and Bale yes. and 16 year old Leia who's like I'm gonna do what I want and then her parents are like listen yeah <laughs> you're actually harming our rebellion efforts we we need you to stop this <laughs> yeah, we need you to actually listen to us yeah. we really there's a lot more going on than what you think is going on. We're not just giving parties for our friends and ignoring you. Mm-hmm. We're forming a rebellion. Yes. So stop whining. <laughs> <You're your party. laughs> no, I, but it was done well. I mean, I have to admit, when in the in the beginning, um, and I listened to this one also. In the beginning, I felt like it was slow. I felt, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not. This is partly part of it is that with audiobooks, I read really quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean. And so with audiobooks feel slow to me, but I have this long commute now and, and I do like audiobooks, but sometimes if you're in a part that you feel is not so interesting, you kind of can't skip ahead because you don't know what you'll be missing as opposed to with a physical book, you can skip. Yeah. So there are parts where I felt like in some ways it was repetitive about her being a teenager mm-hmm. and acting like a teenager, but really that's the point. Yeah. She's acting like a teenager and you do see her grow across the book and when she once she understands the seriousness of what her parents are doing and and she wants to be a part of it it's like this is how leia became leia mhm mhm and you know a lot of the scenes between bale and leia in this book i kept uh, th- i kept thinking of that line from the rogue one where he turns to mon mothman and he says i would trust her with my life oh uh, it's like yeah this is why you know this is this is how he, they developed that trust um and breha in in this book i mean we hardly know anything about her canon wise yeah Um, and i'm glad to see how how much was devoted to her and her efforts um i also like that like luke leia knows that she's adopted uh, yes but in the case of of her adoption they celebrate it whereas luke's i feel like owen doesn't care (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, he's you know, just he cares <laughs> I'm sure he cares in his gruff little moisture farmer way but um, <laughs> you know just, just how much her her adoptive parents are just like we chose you because we love you yeah um, yeah there is there is a moment in this book where I'm like like full on gasp um, where she basically wears Padme's dress yeah and moff panaka oh my god has a moment where he's like piecing things together of course he doesn't survive it so you know the secret is safe um but just that little brush with her her legacy and she goes to naboo often it seems like uh because there was a moment in 
mm-hmm. um, the Mark Wade miniseries. Yes. Um, it seems like Leia's always hanging out with the Queen of Naboo, no matter who it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it kind of makes sense in terms of they are royalty, they are of a similar age. Yes. So, so they would know each other. Um, but Panaka, should we say who he is in case people... Oh, yeah, surely, surely y'all know who Panaka is. <laughs> From the Phantom Menace. Uh, was he head of security for Padme? What, what was Wait, his title? I thought he was the Attack of the Clones one. Uh, Typho. The- Typho was Attack of the Clones. Oh, okay. I've been picturing the wrong guy then. Panaka, okay, so, yeah. Panaka had both he's, his eyes. Uh, okay. Ty- so... Typo yeah, he's he's security, and of course he and he's frustrated with Padme for being Padme and taking security risks and things like that. Yeah. And here in this book, he is a moth, and you feel like, oh, but he was, you know, he's Padme's protector, and so therefore he must be a rebel at heart. But uh-uh. he's not entirely unsympathetic. I mean, you could you could easily uh, read him as this is the way he best knows to protect the interests of Naboo. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he doesn't come across as malicious no. or evil. And again, it goes back to heroes on both sides. We don't yes. know the full story or what he's doing in his position as Moff or Naboo. But, oh, it's just one of those moments oh, but, where it's like... Uh, yeah, but he sees Leia and he immediately... He sees Leia in Padme's clothes and immediately is like, oh my goodness. Could it be? Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, there's probably already rumor that Padme died after childbirth because, I mean, after you give birth, your body doesn't snap back. Um, and she had an open casket parade through the streets of feed. Um, yes. So, yeah, I mean, people can put two and two together. And, you know, it's, it's, you just got to count back here sometimes. Uh, right. Do a little math yes. there. Uh, so Leia was good. Also introduced Amelyn Holdo, which we talked about already. Um, yes. I, in the book, I felt like she was a little more Luna Lovegood-ish yeah. than, than she is in the adult version which, in, the, in the movie. You know, maturity can do a lot sure. of things. And I got the feeling that Emmelyn of, you know, age 16 had a lot to learn about sharing her ideas with people. Um, yeah, the way that she mm-hmm. presented. Yeah, the way that she does it, right? Yeah. yeah, and I felt like the Amelin of the Last Jedi had learned a few things about, you know, you can be eccentric but tone it down a little. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but you know, I I thought it was a nice um, extension of the character. Um, yeah, I I did not love Kier or Kerr, the um, Clone Wars fanboy. The guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, cause he wasn't Han or <laughs> that's, that is a fair question. Um, I felt like I, 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 um, part of the point of the book is that Leia is growing. She's learning about politics. She's learning about diplomacy. She's, she's going to learn about the rebellion. Mm-hmm. I felt like there were some parts where, I mean, we know Kira is, all right, spoilers. Obviously, we've said this before, but we know this guy's not going to make it past this book. No, he doesn't show up anywhere else. So, yeah. So, um, so his sort of almost verging on mansplainingness to her. It seems like he's. It, it, no, I felt like she was learning more from him, speechifying at her 
than I would have preferred. I would have preferred she learn more from Amelyn and from her parents and mm-hmm. other people around her, but it felt like it was him sort of repetitively. Yeah. But then again, I, she's 16. Of course. She's of going course. to be enamored with... And he's cute. Yeah, yeah. With a cute boy who acts like he's smart. Sure. Uh, so I felt like that was true to character. And if I, I if I put myself I in the, the mindset of a you know, a young adult reading a young adult novel. It makes sense, you know. Yes. In all our wisdom, we know better, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think um, all the Breha, um, Mara and I both say Breha, but I can tell you, um, loyal listeners, that in the audio book, they pronounce um, Leia's mother's name, Bria. Bria. But but Bria, like B-R-I-A, but it's spelled B-R-E-H-A, so all these years I pronounced it Brea or Breha. Um, but I, but I did like all the stuff with her and, and her, um, her disability that she has. That was also interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you read Canto Bite? No, just you. Yeah. Canto Bite. I read it before the movie. I, I enjoyed it. It was just four stories, um, about aliens and people who are in Canto Bite for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really add to the plot of the galaxy as a whole, but they do add flavor to what's going on in Canto Bight. Um, first story is a tourist who gets caught up in a assassination plot, um, okay. which is pretty neat. The second story is about, um, this rare galactic wine and just how far people will go for something that exclusive um, hmm. which I thought was interesting um, third story was about a alien masseuse whose adoptive daughter who works in the father stable um, was was being um, you know he had to do something he had to do an assassination basically to save her so kind of oh. talked a little bit about the conditions of indentured servitude on hmm. Cantaconia or whatever the planet is called yeah. Yeah, it's in the visual dictionary. Yeah. Um, Cantonica? Yes, Cantonica. uh, Mm. About, and it's just, you know, this whole, like, seedy underworld going on. And then the the fourth story was um, about a uh, a gambler who was hired by the casino to get, you know, games started and stuff like that. Um, owes a lot of money and is trying to make a lot of credits in one night or else he dies. And he runs into these three alien brothers who don't care about winning or losing. They just want to have a good time. And it's like, (laughs) it's like he's astounded by the amount of money they win and lose, but they're like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, whatever. Um, They are like the first thing I spotted when the cancel bite scene happened in the movie. I was like, oh, there they are. Look at them. They're having a great time. Uh, so it's just, it's more like a flavor text than anything else. Um, and it was enjoyable. So that's, um, you know, something to be said. I, I read it and I also listened. So I, I went back and forth on it. Well, they don't, in The Last Jedi, when they're in Canto Bite, they don't name a lot of names out loud. But if you, but in in The Last Jedi Visual Dictionary, they, they do name more characters. So all the, the ones you're talking about, like you, you just said, you, you um, saw them, but were there others? as well uh yeah that are so, named? um oh goodness uh oh. i'm pretty sure i saw i think his name is cal the guy from the, the gambler um in the story 
uh, one of the women who was going for the exclusive bottle of wine, I think was one of the first Kanjakanians you see. Uh, the guy with the weird mustache and the girl he's talking to. I think she's from that story, if I remember correctly, from the book. Um, and, like, the characters show up in the visual dictionary. It's just one of those things I'm like, there's so much going on on Canto Bite that I can't. Yeah. I can't, I can't for the life of me, like, until I get the movie at home, I can't stop it and figure out what's going on. I know. And I, and I just want to say that when we talked about The Force Awakens and when we talked about Rogue One, we were able to read those books really quickly before mm -hmm. podcasting about it. And we can't do that this time with The Last Jedi because the novelization won't be out till March. I know. I know. It's a total bummer. Um, and we, I've already mentioned Cold Squadron. It's a short, quick mm -hmm. read. Phil Noto artwork. It's awesome. Um, he was back. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I already gave my thoughts on Battlefront 2 earlier. Uh, okay. Well, I can if you want me to. Yes. Yes, um, because Mara didn't like it. <laughs> um, I suppose I'll speak about it in um, terms of somebody who reviews video mm -hmm. first. Um the campaign gameplay wise is very bland it doesn't really do much that's interesting um or clever as far as video games go um it's very generic like there's nothing in it that kind of makes me think, look back and think that was a really cool moment the like that game did this unique thing <clears throat> um and some of it was just downright boring gameplay wise oh um however story wise i enjoyed Aiden's arc to an extent i think it kind of went against what they were building her up to be and the story to be before the game came out like they were building it up to be like you were playing as like somebody who was like died in the world empire and you know live and die for you know the the emperor and mm -hmm. stuff like that and <clears throat> halfway through the game after telegraphing it quite a lot she switches sides which does make for some interesting things. But I was I was ready for a video game and a story that gave me a character that was like entirely like all to do with the Empire. Um like you said earlier on Mara about like you would happily like read a book or see a film that was purely about like the Empire's side of things. Mm -hmm. Um I think they were like everybody beforehand when before this game came out was like oh cool we're gonna get like something from a little bit of a different dis perspective this time and that's not really what we got um i did like Aiden as a character and i did really like how like the whole thing with the game opening with her <clears throat> excuse me um basically sort of deliberately having got herself captured yeah and being on that rebel ship and you find out that 
if it wasn't for Aiden deleting this communication that the rebels are uh, decrypting, they would have known about the ambush at the Battle of Endor. Um, uh, and just things like that and how it interweaves with like things on a larger scale. Um, but yeah, I know it was, it was disappointing. Um, after reading Inferno Squad and like that, I enjoyed that book. It was, it was really cool in terms of like establishing Aiden and the rest of the squad, um, as characters. Um, it kind of quickly goes, the game quickly sort of takes you away from that and it just leaves you with, um, Aiden and Del, is it? Yeah. Del. I always, I always call him Dev for some reason. Um, but like Aiden and Dev together, I like their whole arc and the whole, um, have you played the additional story section, Mara? Is that the one with the Kylo Ren chasing him around? Um, oh, that's the end of like the main campaign. So we, we sold the game after. Oh, so we haven't seen any download content. I'm just going to go on YouTube and watch it. Oh, well, I'll, I'll. Just give me the highlights. Give me the highlights. So, so basically, it carries on. It's like about an hour and a half, um, and it's all Aiden and her daughter, and it's a bit of a time jump. So Aiden's a bit older. Um, she's a bit of a silver fox. Um, <laughs> well, you know, she's she's an attractive lady. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say is like I want more Javina Gavanka in. Um, in the Star Wars universe, because that lady obviously loves Star Wars, and she is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like when they did the the press conference for this game, uh, I think it was like the E3 conference. Like she came on stage and she was wearing this awesome dress, which was kind of like inspired by her Inferno Squad armor. And she like came on really stern looking, and she was just like <laughs> delivering it as if she was in character, and it was great. Um, so the DLC basically picks up with, because like at the end of the campaign, Kylo hints to her and Del having a daughter, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, did they just like drop the ball on like who Ray's parents are?" Because um, even I started reading into things on the back of that. Um, so it picks <laughs> up, and it bas- it basically sort of it's this really cool sort of like hour and a half mother and daughter story um and the whole thing is them working side by side um like they figure out that like Dell is dead um and they're basically sort of out for not so much revenge but they you know they're looking for the people who did it and trying to sort of like scupper the um the first order's plans because it also um it intersects with the destruction of Starkiller Base. Um, and it's it's cool. There's some good like good back and forth. It builds up a nice bit of a relationship between Aiden and her daughter. Um, I won't spoil it too much so you can play it because it or watch it. It, it is good. Um, it's not anything substantial. It's just a nice relationship between them. Um, and I just sort of thought to myself at the end of it, I was kind of like, well, I would have much preferred if the original campaign was like three hours long and just hard focused on Aiden as opposed to disrupting it with like they just seem to have um, 
like the fan servicey bits uh, yeah. in the main campaign. Um, like the whole bit with Luke was cool, like where he goes and gets the compass from like the Emperor's um, sort of trophy room, I guess you could call it, mm-hmm. like his collection. And then they kind of like reference it in The Last Jedi. Um, that was cool. But then there was the whole bit in that where you're playing as Luke and you have to like slash at some bugs with a lightsaber for five minutes and it was just boring <laughs> <laughs> um but the dlc was was pretty cool like in terms of like actual sort of like impactful storytelling it was really good and the way it finishes kind of made me go huh okay i'm interested to see like assuming they carry the story on i'm interested to see where it goes because it ends with Aiden dying like she yeah. gets killed Aww. um and sort of basically her daughter like picking up her her mantle um so yeah i think it ends up with like Aiden's daughter and shriv being left as the the inferno squad um but yeah i know what you mean it was it was for what was promised and what we were given um and from a purely like critical standpoint as someone who reviews video games it was disappointing yeah oh but, so yeah. it's, it sounds like the things that you liked were more about the story than the actual game. Like you would have, you would have been happy to read it in a story, but the game yeah. is, was just there. Yeah, that's what I mean. It just doesn't do anything. Like as a gamer, like I want, like I obviously play out like hundreds of hours of video games a year, and the ones that stand out to me are the ones that do something a bit new or a bit clever. And this game just does none of that. It's There's no gameplay elements in this that at any point I was kind of like, like, there's there's the obvious. Again, they're very fan service and they're like, I'm driving an ATAT, but it's, you're not driving it as such. You're just like aiming the guns and firing at things. And it's like, I've done this before in video games. <laughs> it's, you know, mm-hmm. I've, you know, give me some something new to do Star Wars-y wise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a shame, and like like you say, in terms of like, I I think everybody I know who was a Star Wars fan, um, like was ready for a story about the Empire, and that wasn't what we got. They just can't go full Empire for us. No, because like, have a redemption arc or something. Because it was. It was built up as like, you know, the Emperor is dead, Aiden's pissed off and she wants, you know, rebel blood and she's gonna go and get it and then like an hour like two hours into the game you're like, No, she's a rebel I was like, Hmm, okay. <laughs> Great. Like it was cool seeing her interact with Leia and stuff and yeah. the fact that like, you know, Inferno Squad becomes like a tool of the rebellion, but I could have done without that, really, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a bit of a uh, a letdown. All right. Uh, so, last thing we're going to cover is uh, comics. Uh, and we've talked about... Hold on, one, hold on one sec. Did you want to say something about The Legends of Luke Skywalker? That's the only other book I have uh, written now. Other than what I've said already. Um, okay. No, I, I, I don't. Yeah. It's a YA book. Yeah. And it's also maybe canon the whole the whole idea is that these people are telling stories about luke skywalker and they're over the top Um, yes some of them seem like they are true some of them are definitely not like there's no way 
Uh, and I think that's the whole point. I think it's uh, like Canto Bite is, it's more of a thematic addition to The Last Jedi than information you need in order to enjoy the movie, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. Um, it's kind of like just knowing knowing that one or two sentence summary of the book um, it, it gives you a little something in background of the Last Jedi. The idea that there are these le- this is this legend that he cannot possibly live up to. The the stories themselves are I would say range from I would say there's one that's quite good where he's sort of on this planet. It, one assumes it is him, and this happened, learning about this planet of Force users that Mara mentioned a while ago, and the idea that you don't use the Force, you don't manipulate the Force, you sort of surrender to it, you you live with it, that kind of thing. You're not, you don't bend it to your will. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, other other than that, the stories are, I thought, were uneven. There are some kind of funny moments, like when when people you know are getting things wrong in stories. Like there's there's a woman telling a story about the Millennium Falcon, and she's like, "And their ship, the Century Turkey." Okay, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> um. But but yeah, I mean, you know, so Luke sometimes shows up in these stories, but you don't necessarily know if it's him or not, and. Uh, he might be listening to a story that people are telling. He might not be, might not really be him. We don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're, I would say it's, it's not bad, but I wouldn't say it. it's super compelling, necessary reading. Mm-hmm. But if you have to, you can, you can check it out. Yeah. This one took me a while to get through. Me too. Uh, just because it's like, am I learning anything about Star Wars? But it, it, it again, is a thematic yeah. point. Um, that and I guess it, given what it is, like I haven't read it, but from what you guys are saying, it sounds like it kind of adds some precedence to, like there's that scene that we mentioned in The Last Jedi with the kids talking about yep. Luke Skywalker. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of establishes that, all right, some of them are, you know, he's he's become, you know, the stuff of myth and legend. Everyone has um, a Skywalker so, story. Yeah, so uh, like yeah. the people out there in the galaxy are, t- are telling stories about him. So I guess it kind of like furthers that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that those aren't the only novels that came out this year. Um, in our 40th anniversary episode, we talked about Aftermath, Empire's End, mm-hmm. um, which is the end of that trilogy. We t- talked about Thrawn, mm-hmm. which is the beginning of a new trilogy, I guess. Yep. Um, we talked about Rucka's Guardians of the Wills. Mm-hmm. And we talked about um, Beth Revis' Rebel Rising. Yes. So if you want to hear about those books, go ahead and uh, check out that previous episode. Um, now, comics. Um, in our previous episode, we talked about Star Wars, you know, from January to, to May. Poe Dameron from January to May. Dr. Afra, which had just recently started. I think it was only on issue four at the beginning of the year. And Darth Maul, mm-hmm. which was a new miniseries. Uh since then, we've had, you know, continuation of Star Wars, um, more Darth, A- uh, Dr. Afra, Darth Afra. <laughs> she would not be happy with that. Um, she would not. The, the new Darth Vader series, um, mm-hmm. the end of the Darth Maul series, more Poe, uh, the entire Phasma miniseries, the entire yep. Mesa Windu miniseries, yep. um, the K2 and Cassian one-shot 
the crate one shot which just came out mm -hmm. and then star wars adventures from idw yep. um so there's so much uh where do you want to start my goodness so i you know the star wars main series there there's been a change this year from uh, jason aaron as the head writer main writer to kieran gillen yeah taking over the reins um and i don't remember what issue that happened. I know he's writing the Ashes of Jeddah. Um, 38. 38. Okay. So that's that's kind of where um, I remember being like, hey, this is different. Um, so Ashes of mm -hmm. Jeddah, which kind of falls up into the more Saw stuff. Um, more Saw. Yep. But his terrorists that are left over. So like, what's his name? Two Tubes? What's that? Alien? <laughs> uh, I wrote, I didn't write down all the names. Yeah. Um, so there's a Chilco G? I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's an there's an Ubin. Yeah, yeah. A Benthic. Uh, yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. I I can't. Say I retained all the names. It's not compelling yet for me. That's why. Yeah, yeah. it's not. We're we're three issues into this arc, and it's kind of like the beginning of the year with Yoda's Secret War. Oh, it's not that bad. Come on now. It's not that bad. <laughs> I, I was ready for Yoda Secret War to be over. Wow. Um, yeah. We talked about that on the last episode yes, as well. Yes. Uh, Screaming Citadel uh, was a crossover event this year with Dr. Aphra and Star Wars. Um, we hit on it briefly, uh, and now it's complete. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I still like it, and I think that's because I like Aphra and Luke together. Agreed. I, I think they are very good foils for each other. They're really nothing alike, so no. it's great. <laughs> um, so I was I was happy to see Afra cross over with um, the main Star Wars series. Almost like it gives it more legitimacy. Um, <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of weird because the last Star Wars crossover was Vader Down, which yeah. I mean everyone is really into Darth Vader. Um, not everyone maybe is into Doctor Afra, but kind of like showing, hey, she has a place in the story too. I I liked that. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the little one-shots um, with Luke and Leia in the wild and Sana and Lando? And I liked those. Yes. Um, and I might have liked them more than the arcs before and after them. Same. Same. Okay. I, I so, loved... I, again, I, I agree with you on Screaming Citadel. I yeah. did like it because I liked having all those characters together. The actual plot... I maybe didn't care all that much, but Rebels in the Wild is Luke and Leia are stranded after kind of a routine mission. So it's them talking. Mm -hmm. I mean, give me give me that. Give me that every month. Give me the two of them <laughs> talking on every month. I'm f totally fine with that. That that was my favorite issue of this year. And I can almost pinpoint it to one moment where Luke's like, so how does a princess know all this survival stuff? And she's like, <laughs> I ran away from home for the first time when I was nine. And yeah. kind of given that background. And then later on, there's kind of a, a moment where she's not really communicating with her father, but kind of like reliving a moment where mm -hmm. she's like, no, dad, I'm not sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sorry about <laughs> running is, away. And it, But it comes around. So that's number 33. Yes. In the most recent issue, it comes back around in number, uh, I think, 40, yeah. where Luke and Leia are talking again. And she's talking about. Bale's last words to her hmm. that that you know so they've gone through all this stuff when she was a rebellious kid but the last thing he says to her is that there's no one he trusts more than her and there's nothing that she can't deal with yeah. and like both 
both of those bookends are Leia. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's the rebelling against her parents, but she's also the one who follows their path and and you could say kind of surpasses them on that path. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's our main line. Um, we mentioned Afra briefly already. Uh, the thing I love about the Afra comic is Captain Tolvin. Yes. I I liked that in the beginning of the series, she, she kind of seemed like a, you know, flash in the pan. We'll see her later. But <laughs> the end of that first arc where she's like, why are you letting me live? And Afra's like, you're kind of cute. And then she walks off and it's like, yep. you yep. know, Tolvin goes on to start having like daydreams about Afra. And yeah, I'm with like, kissing. this is good. This is good stuff. Um, and, and yeah, Tol- and Tolvan, I mean, she is, she is no joke. She is uh, part of the, uh, I mean, she, um, she, she's very serious, I would mm-hmm. say. Dedicated uh, to her job. And, yes. And she is in some bureaucratic trouble at the end of, of, of where we, of the last issue. Um, but she gets out of that trouble and it seems like they're setting her up to go work for Vader. Yeah. And Vader is already, there's a whole, oh man, the, the murder droids are, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the murder droids who I always only liked in small doses, uh, you know, triple zero is now basically Afra's master. Yes. Yes. <laughs> of, he's going to call Vader if she misbehaves and he basically does. Um, and she says, uh, Afra says something to herself, like, learn a lesson this time, Afra. You can be a good person. And then the next page is like, nah, I don't want to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this comic is just fun. Um, you know, Kieran Gillen and Kev Walker, I believe, is the, yes. the artist. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's it's just great. Every issue is hilarious. I mean, yes. I, I, I still like the murder droids. I like what they're they're doing with them. I like that she's kind of afraid of them. Yes. Um, and I again, I'm interested in where Captain Tolvin is going and how Joystick Chevron, as Afra <laughs> called herself once, is because she was looking at both of those. Things. <laughs> how, how these two women are going to uh, cross paths again? Um, yeah. The the um, there was also a funny there they often play or I should say Karen Gillan often plays with the idea of making her a tiny bit more sympathetic and a tiny bit good. And then he always pulls it back. Yes. Which is great. Like she's not Indiana Jones. She's not Han Solo. She, she's not a rebel. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and she doesn't have love for the new Republic. Uh, you know, she feels like her parents or sorry, her mother is dead because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a part where Vader senses her and kind of in a play on him saying, in a new hope, you know, I sense a presence, a presence I have not felt since. And he's talking about Obi-Wan with Afro. It's like, I sense a presence, an infuriating presence. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what she is to him. She's yeah. just infuriating. Yeah. Uh, and that's what makes it such a fun read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Poe Dameron is po Dam- our other ongoing um, this year. Uh, we talked about him earlier on. We had that uh, Legend Lost storyline um where yeah they've been finding him for about 20 issues now <laughs> sorry but i had to say it that's a, it's kind of the whole poe dameron comic is set up to find laura santeca and yeah. then uh 
it's been a while. Yeah, so they're just now kind of coming around to that. And again, I don't know what it is, just everything about Leia, her whole plan to break him out of prison. Oh, yeah. And showing up, like, dressed to the nines with her mother's wardrobe. I'm like, what? Okay. So my first thought was, that's awesome. She's showing up with Padme's wardrobe. It, it, because the, the plot is she wants to bring it to this planet and sort of pretend to have them store the dresses. Mm-hmm. And that's her way in. And she's learned so much from Han and other smugglers. And she knows how to lie. And she knows about this direction. So she's leading this whole plan with these pilots. It's great. But then my second thought was, wait, you know Padme's your mother? Well, surely, after she finds out that Darth Vader's her father. But who would have told her that Padme... Who, though? Well, Obi-Wan pretty much knew. And if he and Bale were in on things, I'm sure Bale put pieces together. Because everyone knew she was pregnant. I mean, everyone knew that. You can't hide I know. But who told her? I don't know. She doesn't know. She doesn't know Vader's her father till Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So who's around to tell her that Padme is? Luke doesn't know. So uh, it either, Obi-Wan Force Ghost maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so I, so I had this feeling like, I mean, I I like to be comprehensive in my reading. It's yeah. the academic in me, and I'm like, I've read every effing thing, and nowhere have I seen a scene where someone tells her that it's Padme. So I just wanted to confirm I didn't miss something. Right? I, I don't know. I can only speculate. And okay. speculation says the people who know are Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Bale. And yeah. two out of three of those people turn into Force ghosts and apparently still continue to have conversations with Force users. Okay. Um, I, I assume, but... You know, it could be one of those things where after she finds out Darth Vader is her father, Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker, she may just investigate on her own. And who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to see it. Yeah. I'd like to see it happen or read about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Poe is constantly getting in trouble in this comic, which, you know, <laughs> this comic happens before The Last Jedi, so he's not really learning lessons yet. But no. Maybe this one from the movie will stick. Um, Well, you know, we didn't mention when we talked about The Last Jedi, the absence of Snap Wexley. Yeah, and Jess... uh, Jess. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Jessica Pava. Yes, Pava. Um, Yeah, so they're still in the comic, but they are not in The Last Jedi. Yeah, so maybe they're on a mission somewhere, hopefully. Nobody's dead, because we saw pilots die, but we didn't see our pilots die, so... Okay. Maybe maybe they were going on a scouting machine ahead of time, reconnaissance or something. Who knows? Maybe there's something that would make them some of the people who didn't answer the call at the end of the movie on Leia's personal mm-hmm. code. Uh, so where's Wedge? Wedge has to answer the call. Surely, and Lando, maybe. Lando should answer the call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so still, still, Laura Santeca in this mm-hmm. in this comic. Um, when it first came out, I thought it was a miniseries. Mm-hmm. Just fine. I, I like where it's going now. Um, let's see. Darth Vader, part two. Yeah, uh, Darth Vader two. Yeah, uh, this one's Dark Lord of the Sith. Yeah. Um, Charles Soule. Oh, I don't know how to say the name. Uh, Giuseppe? Giuseppe Camuncoli? Yes. Um, beautiful artwork. Uh, the, yes. the whole 
comic is how Vader, well, the first arc is how Vader got his lightsaber. Second arc yes. is Vader exterminating Jedi. So yes. the idea is that it takes place right after Revenge of the Sith. Right. Um, I think it's great. I like it. I like it a lot more than I thought I would. The whole premise of it in the first place was, you know, uh, how does he get his lights? I'm like, I don't care. Like, yeah, I kind of didn't care either. And, and I, uh, the problem that I had, I, I enjoyed reading it, but the problem that I had with the first couple issues was that, so he has to go find a Jedi and take the Jedi's lightsaber and corrupt it, corrupt mm-hmm. the crystals, yeah. lead the crystals. And it's like, you know, he's going to win that fight mm-hmm. because of course he has his, his lightsaber. Yeah. Um, so this is another little uh, last Jedi thing that the, the Jedi that he goes after to get his lightsaber, because most of them are exterminated, is one who apparently has taken what's called the Barash Vow. So this Jedi, uh, Kirak, I'm not sure how to say his name, but anyway, so he's taken this vow, which has, as penance, he has cut himself off from the Force, and he's not a practicing Jedi anymore. So you could say that that is what Luke is doing. Yeah. Uh, there's also precedent in the old novels People did it strategically, though. They they did it to hide. They would make themselves invisible in the Force in order to sneak around. So mm-hmm. that was just another another example of cutting yourself off from the Force. But anyway, yeah. So he so he kills that guy. Um, but it, it's a really great looking, even though it's not suspenseful because you know he's gonna get the lightsaber. What he does and how he acts looks out like. I prefer the last few issues to the first few. Yeah, with uh, um, Jocasta. The librarian. Yeah, Jocasta knew the librarian is a badass, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we knew she was. I mean, just the way that she carried herself and, you know, the one so minute she was I, on screen. But the fact that, I mean, she is much like Holdo and that yeah, yeah. it's not about being flashy. It's not about right. taking down the bad guy. It is about preserving the spark, preserving the way of life. And... Mm-hmm you know, recreating holocrons and recreating the library as much as she possibly can. And, and then going and erasing it, the, the library that's in the hands of um, the empire. Just yeah, gone. which of course is painful for her to erase all that data, but she, that, that's preferable to them getting their hands on it. Mm-hmm. And kind of explains, uh, you know, people are like, you know, look at all the technology they had in the prequels versus the original trilogy. I'm like, eh, could be part of the reason. Um, all this knowledge she's gone in and just erased and it made it easier for the empire to suppress people, but it also kept that knowledge from the empire in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. And then when she, he almost kills her and she starts saying, I'm one with the force and the force is with me. That yes. was cool. Uh, and also she finds out who Darth Vader is. Oh, I shouldn't say, I didn't mean Vader almost kills her. Oh. Sorry. It's an, it's an inquisitor that oh, almost yes. kills her. Yeah. And Vader stops the inquisitor from killing her. But yeah, she knows. And the way she finds out is also cool. Yeah. Um, and just like the idea, she's like, oh, this is bad. This is very bad. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying Darth Vader a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, me too. I, I didn't know. I, I liked the old, uh, not it's not old Darth Vader one mm-hmm. I don't know um I liked that so much and I was bummed when it ended about a year ago but yeah I'm liking this this part two as well mm-hmm. um Darth Maul five issue miniseries uh wrapped up earlier this year um Cullen Bunn and Luke Ross uh, yep 
And I remember meeting Colin Bunn um, earlier this year, and he signed my Darth Maul number one, and I was talking to him about it, and he goes, yeah, this series is basically an excuse for me to do a Cad Bane story. <laughs> like, he just wanted to do Cad Bane. I'm like, I get it. And, uh, and Aura Singh, she's in it too. Yes, yes. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's not a, like, the, the series itself is good, but it's not something that changes my mindset about Darth Maul or anything like that. No, I would still like to know more about Darth mm-hmm. Maul. I feels like he's. I feel like he's been shortchanged in a number of media. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, but I. I did like his whole like. I just gotta fight a Jedi so bad, like right now, mm-hmm. that he arranges to get this Padawan, and he's like, "You're close enough. Let's fight." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm full of rage. I need to kill someone. Yes. Um, so I thought that I thought that was a good comic series. Um, you know, short and sweet. Luke Ross is a very talented um, artist mm-hmm. as well. Um, we've already hit on Captain Phasma um, and her hunt down of anyone who might possibly know of her betraying the First Order. Um, Marco Cicchetto's artwork in that one. I mean, uh, can he do all books forever? I mean, it's it's, yes. it's so overwhelming. Like, the his double-page spreads are just incredible um and i i did like the uh um fake out about phasma removing her armor and putting on a different (laughs) set of armor (laughs) yes (laughs) uh Um, i thought that was pretty clever can i can we say a general word though about um photorealism in star wars art and comics yes yes uh Chichetto. What do you want to say about that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I like Chichetto. Me too. I think he does a good job with cartooning. Um, Kev Walker, same thing. Yep, um, yep. Uh, Salvador La Roca. Um, it can be bothersome. And I think I had a little bit of the same issue with the Storms of Crate comic, if I remember correctly. I think that it, one. Yeah, that added a little bit too. I agree. Yeah. And, and and the Storms of Crate one, which again is just a one shot. It just came out this past week. I, okay, so there, so there are, the use of the photorealism can be comforting because you want so much for Leia to look like Carrie Fisher or Han to look like Harrison Ford, but it can also be jarring because you have a kind of a photorealistic face in the midst of cartoony looking comic. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, the crate one had it too. And what I found odd was that they didn't seem to be using it for Luke's face, <laughs> but they used it for the, the others faces. And it's, I, I, I guess I feel like I appreciated it at first. And now I'm finding more and more that it takes me out of the story when I see it. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, Goodness, who, and I already closed out my tabs, so I feel bad about this, but uh, the artist, um, I know Stuart Eminem did a great job with the cartooning, um, but there is an artist on the main run of Star Wars who, I could tell who all the characters were, that wasn't a problem, um, but the, the facial expressions he did were fantastic. Um, but again, it goes back to like, you know, take some risks, and just draw on your own style 
or, or draw and, in a style that's you know not the movie. Yeah. And please let me say, I cannot draw stick figures. No. I have absolutely zero talent in the art department. I'm just really talking about when your artistic choices to make something look so crisp and absolutely computer generated version of a person's face is making me remember that I'm sitting and reading a comic. Mm-hmm then it it becomes a problem because you're taking me out of the narrative. Or how closely some of those faces look to certain scenes in the movies, and it makes you sit and think, oh, which scene is that from? And And sometimes I know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that's when Leia turned her head and Mm -hmm. looked and and said this particular line. Some of them are so clear Mm -hmm. where they're from. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I'm having difficulty with it. Other people might really, really like it because they really, really want the character to look just like the actor. And I can understand that too. It's, it's just not for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, one book that has no photorealism, uh, Mace Windu. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one just didn't stick with me. I completely agree. And I love Mace Windu. One of one of our previous episodes, I know I talked about the book Shatterpoint, and I know I've talked about it to you privately as well. Mm-hmm. I love that novel. It's basically all about Mace Windu and his Padawan, who is Kanan's master. Um, so if you're interested in those two characters, it, it is a, a good book. But And I was really looking forward to this miniseries, and I just I couldn't get into it. I read the whole thing. It's five issues. But I just didn't, and there are new jet. The Kit Fisto is also in it. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, people might know him from other comics yeah. or cartoons. Uh, and his brief appearances in the movie, he's the green guy with all the kind of tentacles on his head, an underwater dude. There are a couple other characters who are introduced, and I just. Well, here's the sad thing: the series wrapped up December twenty seventh. Yes, this is December thirty first, and I could not tell you how it wrapped up. Okay. Yeah. Um, it just did not. I mean, it just did not stick with me. It. I don't want to say it felt like a chore to read, but it was like, yeah, I can put this off a couple of days, and you know, not read it. It's not like Doctor Afro where it's like top of the pile. Yeah. I mean, I guess what they're kind of doing is they're they're talking about rifts within the Jedi Order about how can we be peacekeepers if we're using violence? How can we be peacekeepers if we're bringing violence to places? Which is a totally legit question. It's just that we've kind of seen it before. Yeah. So um, there's a confrontation between Mace and this sort of new character, Prosset. And Prosset confronts Mace that the Council is hiding things and... You know, he kind of seems like he's turning on the Jedi, and in the end, he's being um, disciplined by the Jedi. And he's like, I know you're going to kill me. You're going to execute me, which I didn't even know was on the table for Jedi, but whatever. And Mace basically is like, no, he should, uh, I don't even remember. He should drive the garbage truck or something. I don't know. He should do something else. Like, no, of course, we're not going to kill him or punish him. And maybe he can be brought back to the light and see the wisdom of the Jedi Order and Maybe it was supposed to be about Mace's deep belief in the Jedi Order and, and how it could do good, and that blinded him to other stuff. But I I had tro- I not had trouble with it because it was bad. I just wasn't compelled by it. Wasn't yeah. compelled to the next one. Yeah. Um, and I guess after this is Thrawn. They're doing a Thrawn miniseries. Yes. Uh, I'm ready for that. So that's kind of, you know, the next miniseries coming up from there. 
Uh, we already talked about Storms of Crate briefly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of the rebels are looking for a hideout. They go to Crate. They mm-hmm. get uh, turned on. But it just kind of like revisiting and going there. My favorite moment is a uh, wedge. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> and but, how angry. <laughs> angry wedge was a surprise to me. I'm, I'm not used to angry wedge. And, yeah. and that's after reading multiple novels with wedge. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that the the stress of you know finding a Death Star and running from the Empire just made him like take it out of some local fauna. Wedge has been through a lot, yes. <laughs> so we'll give him his moment. We can forgive a lot for him. Yeah. Uh, the Rogue One one shot as well, Cassian and K2SO. Yep, I didn't read that one. I forgot all about it. Was it, it, was, it was fine. It was basically just how Cassian got K2SO. And uh, it, it wasn't like, I don't know. K2SO was going to kill him. You know, he went in, rewired some things. Then he was only 30% going to kill him. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. It, it. it didn't stick with me very much. Um, okay. So pretty, you know, I like, like both Cassian and K2SO. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that came out this year that I was the most excited about is IDW's Star Wars Adventures comic. Adorbs. Uh, Total. So good. Um, so we're five issues into that. And is Anna reading it? No, she doesn't really like to read. I've been reading more stuff um, digitally. She doesn't really like to read them digitally. She likes oh. to have a trade. Okay. Okay. So. Um, but Star Wars Adventures is just a collection of stories of our main characters and different timelines and things that they're doing. Um, there's a little bit of Rey and mm-hmm. her saving Uncle Plutt. There's um, some Leia saving Luke. <laughs> there's some yes. Finn with a little monster guy. Um, and there's there's backup stories in them, too. They're just fun, um, fun little little stories. And I like the artwork in them, too. Yeah, the the um, they're not all the same. I mean, a couple of them are Elsa Charitier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and and I'm sure that's not right. Is it Charitier? Uh, it's French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the various artists and writers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's not like you have to be compelled to read this or you can't enjoy the Last Jedi or something like that. But it's just characters that we like, and you get a little bit of extra kind of kid-looking, cartoony-style um, story about them. Mm-hmm. And Yvonne is in one of the best Yes, Yvonne. I know. I kind of was hoping she would show up in other things. Yvonne from the Princess Leia series. Yes. Um, so I think that's all the comics. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, I, hope, I, hope, I hope people don't feel like we gave short shrift to the comics because we talked about The Last Jedi so long. But part of it is... We also don't want to tell you every single thing that happens in the comics. Um, um, there are it, a lot of comic issues. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, Hugh, I know you had mentioned that you were definitely not caught up on any of the comics. Um, are there any of these that you were reading ongoing or anything like that? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've basically got to the point now where um, I'm pretty much reading stuff via Marvel Unlimited. Um <laughs> Because, like, this year with me sort of 
joining talking games and stuff i was you know spending more money on video games so i had to cut back on comics so sure. i just kind of made this a decision to <clears throat> unfortunately as it means i'm behind on things all the time is to read them on um marvin unlimited so i am um catching up slowly but right now i'm like six months behind so yeah i'll um i'll let you know what i think of what you've just caught up on in around June, July. <laughs> you got a lot to look forward to. Yeah. I know. I, I but yeah, I'll definitely catch up. I don't know about you two. Well, actually, Hugh and I talked about this a little bit. Um, I feel like I'm getting some comic fatigue. And I don't know if it's because I had to push it so hard when I was writing my book. And I had to read so much for so long. But I, I feel like I'm getting to a point where I would kind of rather let things go monthly and only read them in trade. I, I've, I'm starting to get that feeling more like I have to read stuff than that I'm looking forward to. Some of them I still look forward to. Yeah. But some of them I feel more like I have to. And I, I don't like that feeling that yeah. much. Yeah. Another, big, another big part of it for me is that I, like, the majority of books I used to read um, were Marvel. Um, like I, I had a few indie books that I would read, um, like every month and, you know, DC, I'd read Wonder Woman, Batman. Um, but I just kind of got increasingly tired of Marvel as a company Mm. in all honesty. So I just thought to myself, screw it. I'd rather give them 40 pounds of my money once a year so I can keep up although it is like quite a bit behind everyone you know everyone else as opposed to spending hundreds of pounds of my money on them because I'm just fed up of them overcharging and the mistake missteps they make in terms of uh their staff (laughs) their tone like the whole thing with um CB Sobolski admitting that he used like a Japanese pseudonym. Yeah. I was just like, how is that okay? And it was almost as if he was like, really, like announcing it triumphantly. It was like, I did this and I fooled people into letting me into the industry. Aren't I wonderful? And it's like, no, dude, you're a douchebag. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, that that's a big part of it. But like I said, a, part, a big part of it is me being involved in talking games and trying to be a bit you know not spread myself too thinly financially and you know as yeah i think i think a part of it is fatigue as well because for a good like 10 years i was spending like i was someone who was spending like 50 pounds plus a month on comics and i was reading stuff incessantly and i think i just kind of like burned myself out on them to be honest mm-hmm. i pretty much keep up month to month with Star Wars mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman. But Wonder Woman I right now is not a happy read. I am not reading it. I yeah, I, I just gotta I just Greg gotta know what's left. going on. That's that's mm. and Terry Moore. Anything Terry Moore puts out I read and buy as soon as it comes out. But yeah, it's it's mostly just Star Wars comics and then trades. So and web yeah, comics. I guess- that's yeah I, I do need to get more onto web comics and I and I do want to say that last week I read my favorite thing is monsters and that book deserves all the praise that it's getting nice but, 
Emil Ferris. But but yeah, the month to month, uh, you know, like, I guess I had event fatigue. And now I have, I certainly have Wonder Woman fatigue. <laughs> or I shouldn't call it that because she's not in the book that much. But I, mm. I definitely <laughs> was not definitely was not enjoying that. Um, I'm glad that that on Talking Comics proper, they're doing the year-end because that reminds me of things I did enjoy reading mm-hmm. um, and inspires me to to sort of keep going. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, just not comics for me. It's also TV and books for the most part, but the only ones I keep up with are Star Wars. So yeah. here we yeah. are. <laughs> here we are. Everything I watched this year was Star Wars. Everything I read this year was Star Wars. <laughs> That's not a bad way to be. No, no, especially since, I mean, there's so much variety. Um, yeah, yeah. And let's, let's keep enjoying good Star Wars while we can. Like, let's let's ride the crest of this wave <laughs> while it's there. Yes. And just love the fact that that thing that I've grown up loving, we've grown up loving, is back to being incredible as it should be mm-hmm. yeah and we've got solo coming very quickly yes a little too quickly if you ask me but that's all right i would agree i would agree with that um and we've got more rebels not much more rebels but more rebels coming mm-hmm. and the, the thrawn comic that you mentioned and the thrawn book New thrawn the thrawn book, book. Yep. oh what, i'm all what in else? for them oh no i feel like I, I should have looked at a list of other <coughs> upcoming stuff did oh, did you no I like to be surprised Whoa. sometimes. <laughs> oh. um, but there's there's plenty plenty coming. I know there's a DJ one shot. Um, yes, you know, right. Get, get I saw an ad. Um, but there there's definitely no shortage of Star Wars materials. So, um, all right. So if you guys have stuck with this this long, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we might, you might want to put in the in the notes like the for whole first two hours is the last one. <laughs> yeah, put some timestamps in there. Yeah, in case people want to skip. Yeah, uh, just comics or uh, or just novels or whatever. Um, yeah. And as as y'all know, we are around and available to talk more about Star Wars. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at Megamarmon. Hugh, where can we find you? Um, I am on Twitter at H underscore Paz, and I also do my best to steer talking games onto Star Wars <laughs> as much as I can, which is very easy when Matt's on this. So. Yes, yeah, it doesn't take much other than a short mention about TIE Fighters don't have life support, and then he's on the tangent. Yep. Uh, Carolyn, where can our listeners talk to you about Star Wars? And they don't have shields. That's just so cold. <laughs> cold. Cold. Okay, sorry. Um, I, I do for that. Sometimes people do uh, tweet at me, but honestly, I never use Twitter, even though I do have a Twitter account under my name. So the best way to get hold of me is email, and that's my last name and first initial, coca, C, at oldwestbury.edu. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be back at least in a year. I don't see us doing a Star Wars 41st anniversary special in may um so we'll definitely be giving you a giant sized star wars episode again at the end of uh, 2018 uh, until next time may the force be with you mm-hmm.